everybody, welcome to another episode of the Man to Man podcast series. Uh, today we are joined by our resident PhD in bro science, Alexander Cortez, uh, as many of you know him as uh, Ajax, right? So yes. All in on the topics of fitness, nutrition, and fat loss. You're one of my favorite follows, hands down, on these things. Uh, and I really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, of course. So it seems to me today that like fitness and health is probably like, like next to religion and politics. It's one of the most contentious things out there. And so my idea is to bring you on here and, and help us kind of upgrade our thinking around these topics, because I think it's so easy to just get kind of lost and overwhelmed and all the different ideas and stuff out there. Gotcha. So um, first, maybe before we do that, though, how about you tell us a little bit about like how you got into this, like why people should listen to a guy who has his PhD in bro science in the first place. <laughs> So long story short, uh, I started personal training in 2010 when I was uh, in college, actually. So it's the only profession I've ever done. And it's, it's grown the time I've done it. Started off training clients one-on-one, did that for a very long time, and then over the years transitioned into the online market and being more of an educator versus just an in-person trainer. So there's three fundamental areas of life that everybody desires, three fundamental desires. We have wealth, relationships, and health, or health, wealth, relationships, whatever order you want to go in. And if you don't have health, what do you really have? Right. It's a very true statement. You know, your health, your energy, you know, how you function day to day physiologically, that is the basis for everything else that you do. If you lack that, if you are in a diseased state, you're unhealthy, your ability to get anything done, to apply yourself, to take action, it's always going to be inhibited. So health is always the limiting factor. So if you can take control of that and you can enhance that and you know that you have you know, essentially unlimited energy and the ability to recover, you know how to manage your stress, you know, your ability to succeed is only going to be limited by your ambition. If you don't have your health, though, yeah, and I've found this many, many, many times over the years with you know, even very successful clients, at a certain point, you're going to get stopped by your lack of self-care, whether it's a heart attack in your 40s, whether it's high blood pressure, whether it's getting sick and taking a long time to recover and realizing that you are overworked and underslept and haven't taken care of yourself. There'll be some situation where you have you know, a call to God moment of, I need to actually take this seriously because it's you know, potentially going to end my life if I don't. Right. And if it's not going to really like fully end your life, it's going to end your enjoyment of it. And this is the thing that I see happen with a lot of guys is that they don't start really giving a shit about their health and whatnot until it's too late, you know, like, and it's so much, it's like one, they're robbing themselves of like such a wonderful thing. Like, cause like, you know, enjoying fitness and health and healthy food and all that kind of stuff is makes life better. But, uh, it's also just, it's like you said, it's a ticking time bomb. So, you know, I think that's all pretty basic stuff. Everybody mostly gets that, but my audience is pretty much all men. And so I'm curious, what are your thoughts around the link between a man's masculinity and his fitness? Some people think, you know, ah, oh, you know, muscles don't make a man, anything like that. What do you think about that? I would say might is right on a fundamental basis. You know, courage and strength or strength and courage, those are the two virtues that underlie your ability to act on any others. If you're not strong, 
how do you enforce your will in the world? You know, rhetorical question. If you're not courageous, if you lack courage, if you don't have the strength to be courageous, how can you apply yourself to anything? How can you claim to believe anything you can't put into action? Uh, you know, human beings, you know, mankind, we straddle a line between the civil and the savage. Yeah, there's lots of statements about that. Make savage the body and civil the mind. If we look at human law, if we look at anything, if we look at any set of rules that tells people how to behave, how do we ultimately enforce those rules? Through violence. Right. Violence is the ultimate answer. Violence is golden. Yeah. You will do this, and if you don't, there'll be consequences. What's the ultimate consequence? The ultimate consequences are going to come kill you. Right. There will be violent repercussions. Now, obviously, we're not living in a ultra-violent society today where we're having to you know, kill people on a daily basis. That's not you know, how we live today. You know, but violence still underlies all civilization. We have police, we have military, we have order, we have laws, we have courts, we have consequences. All these things exist. Yeah. What does that mean on an individual basis for a man? Being strong is, is biological, it's inherent. Weak things die, strong things live. If you're going to disregard that entirely, I don't ever really know what to tell someone, uh, you know, if they truly believe that. Yeah, I can say that sort of the, uh, it's like the disease, the affliction of intellect. You can be incredibly intelligent, you can be exceptionally intelligent to the point where you think the body and the physical world no longer matter. Right. But when it does, it does absolutely. <laughs> and it, it destroys it. all illusions. Right. Yeah. And I think there's even particularly actually for the intellect, like the, 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 the intellectual man, I feel like he more than anyone would benefit from like getting fit and strong because there is a significant psychological effect that comes with doing, you know, hard exercise regularly to the point and then watching it, you know, uh, change your body and your mind. Uh, it seems like there's uh, no matter how many times I try to like get away from it. I always am learning stuff from my journey into fitness and, you know, exercise, like, you know, I'm not, like it, it's tempting to use like a diet example or like a lifting example, uh, as a metaphor for all the other areas of self-development, because it just so fully encapsulates like the human process of improvement. So, you know, that's one of the things I've enjoyed about your work is that you bring uh, a lot to it. You know, you have like this very kind of hardcore fitness based stuff, but then you also uh, have uh, a bit more personality and philosophy around it. So, you know, I wanted to get some of that stuff uh, out here. So for the, uh, let me just look at my notes here. I had, did have a whole outline. <laughs> um, so one of the things that we see here, like with uh, the health and fitness, I think probably first and foremost is like, we've got these layers of information coming out at us. And so for most of us, like the, the average guy, he's just getting pounded with the absolute, like most mainstream surface level narrative, which today seems to say stuff like red meat is bad, eating bugs is good, um, you know, you should get vaxxed 12 times, all of this kind of stuff. And so what do you say to the guys who are just getting like inundated with this kind of stuff and they need like a wake up? Like, how do you, how do you, what's the red pill look like today? Cause I'm sure you, you get this, you get people who are indoctrinated with this kind of stuff and you got to try and like wake them up. What's your approach to that? Yeah. The, the red pill is this, there is no Illuminati 
there is no grand ultra conspiracy and power behind the power behind the power behind the throne. There is no global, global agenda. There are agendas and there are people in power and they are authorities. And the true horror of the world is realizing that all these things work almost on accident. Life is a mess. People are motivated by greed, by profitability, by vice, by personal power. And the fact that anything runs well or runs at all is quite miraculous when you see how messy human beings are. There's 190 plus countries on Earth. They all have their own theories as to why things are the way they are, where they live. And geopolitics is real. And you can be affected by things that are happening as a place 100%. That's all true. Yeah. The mainstream is where health, individuality, the human soul, that's where it goes to die. <laughs> And it's like, if you believe those things, good for you. See what they get you. You will be continuously surprised by everything all the time as to how this could keep happening over and over. And you'll be in a disease state. You'll be an ultra consumer. I was commenting on this, uh, I think, yesterday on Twitter. You know, like, why, why is obesity so mainstream now? Where this seems to not be a problem that's taken seriously by, by the government. Because people that are obese are ultra consumers. You, you quite literally need more food, more calories, more clothes, more everything. You buy more things. You're probably guaranteed to be on your phone more because by default you are far less active you're not moving but like you are the perfect consumer you will buy and buy and buy and buy until the day you die and all of your health problems are things to also be profit from your profit center it might cost it might cost you money if you're obese maybe it does like okay i, I have type 2 diabetes you know, i have high blood pressure i need insulin i need you know i need all these treatments there's all these complications that come with being in a disease state my insurance won't cover me, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure it's costing you money as the individual, but all those things are markets. Your pain is a market. Your inflammation is a market. You needing insulin is a market. The needles you use to inject yourself are a market. The medications you require are a market. Like you are something to be profit off of. Now, if you don't believe any of that and you think that, I don't know, your, your government and the authorities that rule your life care about you <laughs> and are morally good people that's not our to make the best decisions <laughs> yeah. i i have again i have no yeah. idea i, I, I think it, my it audience me, is smarter than that for the most yeah, part. i don't know <laughs> it always amazes me that people actually function that way and there is i mean this is this is more sociological perspective but i, I have found oftentimes this is like older boomer kind of stereotype that for people that grew up let's say like 1950s to 1990s just you know who are in like the 50 plus age bracket maybe 60 plus because they grew up in a relatively prosperous time period for most parts of their life things were stable they do tend to have more faith in the government or more belief in the media you know because you know for them they were operating society it was just more cohesive so right. there were always and there was rebels, less but, dissent too, right? Like because yeah. they all there's like three news channels and they all just took it as gospel, and so they grew up thinking that you could do that. Definitely, you know, being informed. You read the newspaper. Like, can you? Yeah, you know, that was a thing. I remember even like nineties. Like, imagine being a person who just doesn't pay attention to the news. I remember hearing that. Like, it was a very big deal that you read a newspaper and watch the news. Yeah, and now we we're, we're very cynical about that. Like, if you like, we consider that to be indoctrination. Like, you're going to listen to what the government tells you. Yeah, I, 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 kind of, I laugh about this now with like the situation in Russia invading Ukraine, where it's so, like the Russian um, main news, news channel is RT um, and or Sputnik, and they constantly get criticized in American media as being like, this is propaganda by the Russian government. But the United States, we have CNN, which is the American version of American propaganda. And right. I, can go to, I can go to any other country, any other country on earth, and there's always a state-sponsored, sanctioned, supported news channel 
that regurgitates the talking points of the establishment. And we could, you know, from our perspective, well, that that's that's fake news. That's bullshit. Internally, it's like, oh no, this is believable. You know, it's like it, it, Americans are very bad at being objective about their own information sources. I think just because of, we're an isolated country, we're kind of like an island. We're not next to anyone else, right? At all. Um, but yeah, I laugh at that stuff. And yeah, they're like so the younger generation. I think today, millennial Zoomers, they're a lot less. At least half of them, half of the overall population is much less trusting, if outright distrustful. Yeah. I think COVID, COVID accelerated that too. Just like, you know, especially like the, the young kids getting their, you know, high school lot, like years ruined and parents seeing like, you know, masks forced on like their little kids and, and shit like that. I think a lot of people woke up to that and they start distrusting these narratives. I thought like, you know, COVID was like this big red pill in general, but then like you wake up and then it's like, holy shit, like, what do I listen to now? Because there's so many different voices out there. And so if we're going to get into like the health side, like the, the nutrition side first, you know, because yeah. nutrition training, like they, they've got their own like camps and stuff in terms of like digging up your own info. But like, okay, you get in there. What would you say the main camps are? It's like you've got like the vegan crowd, the keto crowd, the carnivore guys. Um, what else? Like the... Like maybe you could, if you're a little bit more hardcore, like IFYM maybe, uh, but it's like you got all these different camps. Who do you listen to? Like, what should you do? How should you approach this? So, so the, the, the nutrition camps is a relatively recent phenomenon. I mean, this, is, this has been like a child of the internet. So if I go back historically to frame this, you had like the FDA, USDA, Department of you know, Health, basically. Food pyramid like, and that yeah, stuff. Yeah, food right? pyramid. You know, and for a long time, that was considered totally legitimate. Like, this wasn't questioned. It really wasn't. Like, nobody right. questioned this back in 1985. Right. It was a very small, dissenting minority of medical professionals that said, hey, I think this is wrong, but they were just shouted down. Yeah, just real um, quick for people who maybe yeah. aren't quite up to speed on that, like, explain what the food pyramid, like, just real quick, what the food pyramid was and, like, why it was ridiculous. So, the... Let me back up even further. So if you go back to like the 1950s, 1960s, so like this is like post kind of post-World War II, petrochemical revolution, agri- like 20th century agricultural revolution, you have the establishment of lobbying bodies that want to make agriculture big and make money. You know, right. like lobbies. Why do why do lobbies exist? Why do specialists exist? Because someone wants money. Fundamentally, everything's about money in ultra-capitalist society, which that's its own thing to talk about. Anyway, so... You have big, let's just say big food, big agriculture. You have this promotion, like say in the 1950s, of like sugar is good for you. You know, these, like these ads are made fun today, but at one time, like white sugar was considered like a, an energy food. Was it like Kellogg have, and stuff like pushing all that, like the cereal companies and shit? Yeah. Like, yeah, just Kellogg have a bowl of sugar the, cereal every morning. <laughs> well, Kellogg's main motivation was this, it was kind of like a puritanical belief that you want to eat a plain diet of carbohydrates to reduce masturbation and like sexual <laughs> vice yeah, ah. like yeah, american history is a funny thing um you know so so you have the so food pyramid so how does that arise so you have you, know, you have the formation of the federal food and drug agency in the 1910s post like the jungle being released so when upton sinclair wrote the jungle it the jungle if you actually read the whole book is actually a, like a whole screed about communism like being the solution but nobody remembers that about upton sinclair's work 
<laughs> you read The Jungle, I think it came out in 1906. It's this big expose on how the food industry at the time was horrifically corrupt and food quality was just nightmare, god awful. Mm-hmm. You had fucking, you had rats in the ground up meat, you had right. cockroaches, there was no public health standards at all. So, you know, and I say that to frame like government standards and regulation are not always bad. You know, right. Some things need to be regulated. You need, you need you know, not oversight. to have rats in your cereal. Yeah. So but anyway, so over the course of decades, this food lobby develops and their primary product is carbohydrates is agricultural crops. And you know, medical research at the time is going on. And a lot of medical science is it's not always good. You know, there's this idea today, that, like, you know, trust the science. Science is simply a testing process. It can come, it can arrive at useful conclusions. It can arrive at completely incorrect conclusions. You know, it's, it's, it's ideally optimally should be self-correcting over time, not agenda driven to make something true no matter what. But this agenda gets set, so to speak, where, okay, meat is bad because it has cholesterol and fat in it. Cholesterol and fat are bad because people who are overweight typically have elevated cholesterol and triglyceride levels and elevated body fat. So fat and cholesterol must be bad. Um, protein must be bad or, you know, not too much protein. So let's promote carbohydrates as the primary food source and non-saturated fats. So this is where actually the vegetable oil phenomenon arises. So, and out of this comes this idea of the food pyramid. Like, okay, so what, what should you eat? What should people eat? Well, here's, here's a visual graph. Right. Here's an example. You eat 11 servings of this and this many servings of that. And you limit, you know, fats and oils, you know, so on and so forth. And that got promoted hard for a long time. And then over the course of you know, about 40 years, you saw obesity just go up and up and up and up and up and up. And it's still going up. And then there Is was it still crash. going up. Like it hasn't, it hasn't, it's still going up. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's still going up. Um, yeah, the, the, the data now gets skewed, like it gets massaged. Whereas, yeah, historically it was just measured by how many people are normal body weight or overweight. Now it's going like, well, how many people are obese, overweight and obese are two different categories. Right. All obese people are overweight. Not everyone that's overweight is obese. Right. So just basically it's a measurement of like how fat you are. So now you hear more about obesity, like oh, obesity is a real problem. Like, uh, you know, somewhere around like 40% of adults are obese. Okay. Like 40%. So that's already bad. But how many percent, how, what's the percentage of adults who are overweight? That's around like 70, probably closer to 80%. Oh. It's high. So, you know, if, if you are a normal body weight person, like you are the minority. You know, I've said this on Twitter before. Like if you are a physically fit, healthy individual, and not just normal body weight, but fit, like, you know, healthy and that you have high lean body mass, muscle mass, low body fat, you exercise, you know, more than three or four hours a week. You're probably quite legitimately in like a 1% human beings in the United States. Wow. Like there's just not that many people who are actually fit. There's not at all. So the food pyramid gets promoted for a long time. Uh, and then, you know, now it's been changed. To like, I think it's more like a food chart, but there's a lot more. It's like a plate. It's like a plate now. Yeah, it's like it's- a plate. Yeah, it, um, it didn't seem that much more clear. It still has a little bit of protein and half the plates yeah, on those cards. I mean, yeah. The government, the, the feds kind of threw in the towel on like trying to promote like what a healthy diet is at this point. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, because the food pyramid like 1990s was heavily promoted. Now you just, you don't really hear about it anymore. You don't right. see that on food boxes. You don't see that on cereal. You don't see it really on anything. At one time, that was a big part of marketing. Now it's not. Yeah, I think, you know, like I said, the feds just kind of gave up on trying to distinguish between what's healthy, what's not. They just, they, they don't care. There's, right. no, there's no government incentive to make the population yeah. healthy. And it seems, though, that like, so that's the government. But then if we're going to talk about the big money interests, they seem to be really hard for this this vegan 
thing, this meat, this meatless stuff, like, you know, the, the push for, I just saw this thing saying like Australia now, though, unless this was fake, I don't know, you can never tell some of these mm-hmm. days, but like Australia now at Burger King, their default burger is going to be made with like beyond meat or whatever. Yeah. And you're going to have to ask for it like with meat. And so what do you think of like this big vegan push? I think that, again, the big vegan push, people can argue about ideology like, oh, we should be we shitting animals. Okay. I don't think it's ideological on the basis of animal ethics. Rather, it's, again, just it's profit driven. And the reason being is that vegan products or plant-based products, they're highly, they're highly reliant on chemical engineering. Extremely. You know, look, look at anything that's a vegan food you know, beyond meat burger. This huge list of ingredients. Yeah. You know, like it's all this stuff you have to throw together. In a lab, literally. Okay. If you compare that to, let's say, animal agriculture, which you know, in a lot of places is still somewhat independent. There's still lots of independent farmers. Animal agriculture is very much dependent upon yearly crop production, wire production. Animal agriculture is not more polluting. That's a big bullshit myth that pollutes the earth more. Animal agriculture is not more polluting, but it's much more prone to seasonal changes in weather. And you have less control over the overall process. And the profit margins can only be so much unless you just make the overall supply of meat smaller and you can charge more. So it's harder to industrialize? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, it mean, and it is industrialized. It is, but it just requires more work, more labor. You compare that to plant-based food engineering, where you can have strict control over every stage of the process and you can charge a pretty penny once you streamline it. Right. You know, so like, why is that being pushed so hard? Because money. Yeah. I heard too, like, you know, they can make it so that you have to, you know, the, what is it like Monsanto and stuff like that? They engineer the crops. So you have to buy them every year and you can't just like replant your own seeds and stuff like that. So it's just yes. like, just like this massive incentive, like on a hugely corporate level to just push this plant thing for. Uh, profit reasons. Now, yeah, correct. Now, I call this I call this like ultra capitalism or, or like okay. predatory capitalism. Which yeah, uh, yeah. People yeah. always get upset about this. Like, no, it's corporatism. I'm like, and, I, and my point to this is this: capitalism. And this is not an argument. We should be communists, but capitalism is not a moral framework. No. Capitalism make as much is money as you can. Yeah, it's ca- capitalism is let's make money and hopefully it's mutually beneficial. You know the, how something works in theory and how it works in reality are two different things. People right. are always going to exploit the system, regardless of what it is. It always will. The United States, I would say, is, is an ultra-capital society. It's the best country in the world to make money. Everything here, every stage of the process is about how can we make money. Which, you know, this is why the U.S. produces billionaires. This is why it drives innovation. There's this huge overall social push to just grow everything, which is it, it's good and it's best. You know, for something like food supply... There's no incentive by any mega food corporation that, oh, we want our customers to be as healthy and informed as possible. It's like, no, we just want you to buy as much as possible all the time. <laughs> that, that, like, that's it. But the other, like, that's it. Motivation is profitability. You know, and for engineered foods, there's lots of stages of profitability in that process. Like you just said, you know, GMO produced crops, Monsanto. Not the, you know, there's lots of restrictions and laws now around what seeds you can plant, where you can even buy seeds. You know, right. certain seed lines, certain plant lines have been basically made extinct. You compare that to someone that, you know, hypothetically, let's say you are an independent farmer and you actually own your cows. You can, no one's going to come in there and tell you, you know, okay, you had cows this year, you have to buy new cows last year. There's a cow subscription service. That, that's not right. how it works. 
you, you can't subscriptionize live animals really like maybe you could try <laughs> yeah like that's very difficult to do <laughs> right seeds fertilizer fuel nitrogen all that stuff can be based on a subscription model that actually can like a, like it's a yearly yearly profit model yeah. yearly business model um that's... yeah so I, I always laid out that way since the, again the ideological stuff like I think parts of it are true. Like, are there people who are hyper motivated by these sort of moral crusades? They are. Yeah. But unless your moral crusade has money in it, it's not going to be, you know, of course, adopted. Right. And so that leads it to so, okay, it can have distorted, you know, marketing and stuff around it and incentives and that sort of thing. But what do you think of veganism as a general healthy lifestyle? Is that something Mostly that you think bullshit. is viable? Mostly. Now, here's the thing. So, is it possible? Yes. So, yeah. Yeah, hypothetically, you could eat a diverse enough vegan diet, and it may require some supplementation and quite large variety of plant foods. If you can be healthy, people do it. Yeah. The aspect that I find arguably unnatural or defective is that, you know, historically, you know, biologically, you didn't have access to a whole foods in. 3000 BC right. or 200 AD or even 1950. There, there was no, you know, there were, there were no options where you could supplement your diet and buy this vast array of, you know, plant fruit foods that from with things that come from four different continents that didn't exist. You know, a plant-based diet in, you know, Ireland in 1800 was you ate fucking potatoes and that's it. Right. You, didn't, you didn't have rice, pea, protein. You didn't have 18 different kinds of mushrooms. You weren't buying 40, 14 different kinds of, of lettuce and this vegetable and that vegetable. Like you just you ate potatoes. Or if you were in Egypt, you ate wheat. Or if you're right. in Asia, you get what's what's plant based diet? It's rice. Right. And you also it. couldn't order like your don't don't they need like a B12 supplement or something like that too? Like when B12 supplementation is popular. And the issue with plant proteins, you know, even if you can hypothetically get in enough protein on a plant-based diet, which is really hard to do since plants just don't have that much protein, even the ones that do, it's, you know, by weight, by volume, it's not that much. It's that plant proteins are less bioavailable than animal proteins. Right. So they are of lower quality. Yeah. I think a lot of the data that gets, again, like massage or just outright bullshit about like, well, you know, vegetarians you know, live longer. It's like, if you go through these supposed long-lived populations who don't eat a lot of meat or, you know, supposedly like vegetarian, so supposedly a vegetarian, let's say like Seventh-day Adventists in, uh, in California. So like where I grew up in California, actually, there's this population of, uh, you know, it's a blue zone population. Seventh-day Adventists. What does blue zone like, mean? I've heard that before. So blue zone, I forget the researcher that did this, did the research, but um, blue zones are supposedly these places in the world where people live to the age of 100 the most. Okay. So a blue zone, you know, if you go there, it has the highest percentage of centenarians, as it's called. But when you look at these populations, there's, also, there's all these other confounding factors. You know, for the Seventh-day Adventists in, like, Riverside, California, where close to where I lived, they have an extremely social environment that they live in. Right. So, like, you know, hyper-connected you know, connected people, they all go to church, they live locally, they walk. There's all these other things that contribute to them living a long time. They're not overweight because a lot of them walk a lot. And, you know, their diet, supposedly being vegetarian, having actually been around them and known a lot of them, it's, it's actually not like they do eat more meat than I think mm -hmm. the, the statistics led on, you know? So, I mean, this is why, you know, making these, you know, statements about longevity off of limited data sets is just not good science. 
Um, you know, but going back to the vegetarianism, like, yeah, it can be done, but it comes with a lot of potential health consequences. Like I've been to India a number of times. I've lived in India. India has the largest concentration of vegetarians of anywhere in the world. Indians as a population are grossly unhealthy. They're almost as, they're almost as obese as Americans. Metabolic syndrome is a huge issue there. Hmm. Type two diabetes, um, lifespan mortality is way less than a lot of other countries. Childhood malnutrition still, still a major issue. You know, overall malnutrition still a major issue. And you know, Indians like I mean they hate hearing this. Like I, you know, I have a lot of Indian followers and they get super pissed off. But you know, religious reason, reasons aside, it's not a healthy diet. Your whole diet is carbohydrate based. You're, right. Like the whole population is, you know, almost whole population is protein insufficient. They are they're insulin resistant. They have really poor muscle tone. You know, there, there's 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 these stereotypes about Indians that like oh you know, Indians are bad athletes, not athletic people, they're physically really weak, you know, skinny fat Indian. I'm like, I've been there. I'm like, I don't think this is necessarily true because of your genetics, but it's what you eat. Your diet's really high in carbs and really low in protein. And that that's what happens when you have constant insulin spikes with, you know, low protein intake. And then you add on being, you know, sedentary, especially for like the wealthy populations, like you get skinny fat or you right. just get fat period. Um, and I imagine you like, that? Go ahead. And I imagine if that's like your, like diet your whole life, like maybe you, you probably know more about this. Uh, well, you certainly know more about this than I do, but like if dudes, what you eat as you grow have a big impact on then what your genetic potential actually gets capped at. Like if you're not, for example, getting enough protein at, in your formative years, does that actually limit how big and strong and athletic you can become when you're a full grown adult? Like I know obviously if you're like, straight up malnourished when you're young that'll stunt you for sure but what oh, yeah, if you no, just yeah 100 no, does like it absolutely does hmm. i mean childhood nutrition is very well studied and yeah kids who get insufficient protein intake insufficient micronutrient intake you're going to stunt your growth whether it be body growth or brain health like in various ways like that that's going to happen now it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a dwarf but if you grow up eating not much protein and you have a big lack of you know multiple nutrients uh, yeah, you're probably going to have poor muscle tone. You're probably going to have lower bone density. You're going to have a you know, less functional nervous system. Like that's just it's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. If you look at populations that have really high meat intake, uh, you know, like Hong Kong, for example, like the highest meat intake of anyone in the world, their average lifespan is like 86 years. Like they live, they live a long time. And if you look at these punctuated populations, let's say like uh, like Mongolians, for example, uh, small country, only a couple million people. Mongolians, for you know, they're, they're Asians, right? They're they're Asiatic. They are not small people. Like they're quite large, hmm. you know, and they have really high meat intake, really high dairy intake. Uh, their health metrics are comparable, if not better, or just outright better than, let's say, you know, vegetarian population. Um, very athletic. You know, they send a lot of athletes to the Olympics. Very small country. And you can find you can find examples even you know in Eastern Europe these small nations, you know, uh, you know like uh, during the nineteen eighties like you know, the Romanian national team for example, right. uh, those Eastern European populations, not necessarily that they're carnivore but like they had you know healthy at least the athletes were had health, fed healthy diets like you gotta eat protein yeah they did really well like you have these small nations where a lot of athletes come out of them it's like where are they eating, they're not eating plants, like they're they're, they're eating meat. Yeah, like it's it's just, it's very, yeah. I mean, I think it's intuitive. Apparently, it's not. Like if you if you travel the world enough, you see a very sharp contrast between okay, 
poverty population subsisting on grains, healthy population, meat. Like right. it's, it's very obvious, you know, the physiological difference, morphological difference. Interesting. Yeah. And I imagine like, so something that's become more popularized in like modern time, like not modern time, but, like recent time, like, uh, you know, mm -hmm. Paul Saladino and stuff like the carnivore MD and that this idea that, uh, plants have these plant defense chemicals. Like I was ne I'd never heard of that at all growing up. Mm -hmm. Is there much truth to that? What do you think of that idea that like plants have these inflammatory sort of things that are you know, not necessarily good for your, as good for your gut? Basically, in general, they are just a lower quality um, food group. You know, fruit's a little bit different because the plant wants you to eat it, but in general, plants don't want you to eat them, so they have these chemicals. That's, that's a thing I've been hearing uh, a lot about. Is that true? Uh, I'll be honest, I don't take that very seriously at all. Mm. So human beings are omnivorous. We are. We can eat a large variety of things. We can get nutrients from them. Obviously, there's a difference between plants, which are not very nutrient dense, versus you know meat. Like the, no shit. Like yes, like meat is you know you know per gram per ounce. There's nothing more nutritious than animal flesh. That unarguable. Does that mean plants are like poisonous for you? No. I mean, most plants that we eat today have been bred for. I mean, legitimately thousands of years at this point to be eaten. Right. Like we've bred them, we've bioengineered them to be more palatable, to be better absorbed. Um, would I base my diet around plants? No. Do I you know, scientifically believe that eating, you know, whatever, rice, potatoes, uh, you know, bread is going to have detrimental long-term effects where it destroys your metabolism, immune system, gut health? No, that, that's very individualized. If, if you look at the scientific research, you know, the overall body of evidence, you find that the only thing that long-lived populations really have in common is that they don't overeat. They have a fairly balanced diet. It's like Mediterranean kind of split where it's like, okay, if you eat, you know, about 30 to 40% protein, 30 to 40% fat, 30 to 40% carbs, and you, you walk, you make sure you're not fat, you, you have family members that care about you and you're not lonely, you'll probably live to relatively your maximum lifespan. Yeah, like that. That's all you can really find in common. Um, and then if you do a lot of cardio, like endurance athletes actually tend to live long, so any other athletes, it's okay. So do, do, do some cardio and build some muscle. Cool. Uh, yeah, as far as plants causing all these supposed health issues, that's so much, it, it's very N equals one. And I don't dispute that for some people, perhaps like gluten, for example, I think for a lot of people, gluten could be an issue. Yeah, maybe eating like a high fiber diet is bad for your gut. Now, I, I eat personally very little fiber. Yeah, almost none. Because I went through a period of time where I experimented, you know, like years ago, where it's like, okay, let me eat lots of spinach and leafy greens and all these things. And it never did anything good for my gut health. It's just I kind of was always bloated. I get distension. You get the grumble effect. I'm like, is this really, like, what, what is this doing specifically that's enhancing my health measurably? I right. couldn't point to anything. Right. So I eventually I stopped eating most vegetables. I eat very few vegetables. And digestion was better. I found out that eating like a highly protein based diet was good for me. It worked. So yeah, that's how I eat. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but you know, other people that might be the case, there is a such thing as metabolic type. Some people are better at digesting carbohydrates or fiber more than others. Um, you know, metabolic typology is real. You know, gut flora is not universally the same person to person. Your microbiome can be different. Yeah. So I'm sure there are people where they actually do do better on a more moderate, you know, maybe lower-ish protein intake, hard carbohydrate intake. I wouldn't dispute that. Um, 
you know, but you know, plants being plants being bad for you, it's it's just hyperbole. Like, yeah, I, I mean, and, and I like, like Paul. marketing. Yeah, I, I like Paul. Like, obviously, he's a healthy guy. Yeah, I really I question long term whether the lack of carbohydrates and this lack of glucose intake, lack of glucose, basically, is going to have negative health ramifications. But we won't know that for ten to twenty years. Yeah, yeah human being human beings are evolved to eat carbs. You know, like I'll get very basic. I think for like inarguable example, uh, my wife recently gave birth. We got our first child. Congratulations. The, yeah, thanks. Thank you. So the composition, the macronutrient composition of breast milk is about 85% carbohydrates. Hmm. So the first thing you're eating when you're literally born is, you know, it's your mother's milk. And that's mostly carbs. It's I didn't carbs. It was that much carb. Yeah, carbs, hmm. fat, and protein. Yeah. So I'm like, what? So what does that tell you? So if we're if first thing that we're consuming from birth is a carbohydrate dominant beverage, yeah, would that you know, would that be a single? Hey, maybe it's natural to eat carbs. Does that mean I, I can just drink so. Coke all day now? Yeah, well, then that's always like, well, what, what, what about this? Like, no, no, but let's let's be reasonable people. Like, yeah. the first thing you consume when you're born, it, it's carbohydrates, carbohydrates, right. protein, fat. You know, it has, it has all three in it. Okay, cool. Um, so is it natural to have carbs? Yes, 100% is. Now, if, you, if, if, as a, if as an adult, you find yourself metabolically broken with health issues from carbohydrate intake, all right, then make whatever dietary choices you think are appropriate to your health. But let's not extrapolate that into these extreme statements where we're going to exclude this fundamental nutrient source and say that nobody should be eating it. Yeah, that, That's just being fucking silly at that point. <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I, I've experimented a fair bit with like that kind of stuff. And it, you know, it, like for me, what I've found recently is like the like a lot of meat and a lot of fruit I feel phenomenal on. Uh, you know, if I mix a bunch of carbs in there, kind of depends on what it is, like rice and stuff I do good with, potatoes I do good with. Um, and then the vegetables are kind of hit or miss. I always felt like I had to eat them constantly. And so, like, you know, when I would try and get healthy, I'd, like, lo be loading up on these vegetables. And that, it actually caused me to, like, burn out on the diet more quickly just because I, did, I just didn't want to eat them. It's like, give me – like, now that I'm seeing that, like, a lot of people I respect, they're very much like, hey, red meat is, like – probably what most of your diet should consist of like you know i can think of a bunch of people off the top of my head i'm sure you can too who promote that kind of thing and so the yeah. the red meat as a core you have and then if you just have something relatively balanced and whole food around that you're probably going to be okay would you agree with oh, yeah. that definitely i mean and here, here's the thing with red meat i love red meat i love beef Let's say hypothetically red meat, it does give someone, it does create issues. Let's say, let's say you're eating a lot of it and your blood pressure does go up. Mm -hmm. Let's say it does. Let's say your triglycerides do go up and your triglyceride cholesterol ratio is actually less than what you want to be. Okay. So go with chicken and fish or pork or just like there's lots of animals to eat. Right. You know, so I mean like it, like red meat's awesome. I think on beef is the most nutrient dense by far. But like if that, that let's say it doesn't work, just go with the other animals. You know, the, so the, you know, the core of a diet is you know, basically it's animal protein, dairy, you know, natural, you know, dairy being, let's say milk, you know, if not, if you don't digest milk well, okay, well, you have yogurt, cottage cheese, you want to drink that. Okay. That's, you don't have to have dairy, sorry. Let's say, so animal protein, eggs, potentially dairy, high protein take, proteins, high satiety, thermogenic, you're not going to store it as fat. It's just not how she works. Cool. And then you just, you add in carbohydrates as necessary and your fat hopefully comes from your protein sources. Uh, and if you do that, you will find that it's quite easy to 
auto-regulate your weight because you're not having these wild fluctuations in hunger. Uh, you might still crave some carbohydrates. That's normal. It's not unnatural to want carbs. You know, but you're full most of the time. And you know that that's why bro dieting is so basic. It's like, what's a bro diet? Bro diet is basically just high protein. Yeah, <laughs> high protein diet, and then you just add in carbs as you need them. Yeah, it's like, like that's it. That's what a bro diet is. Right. You take high protein, and you have as much as little like you take the carbs you need in order to get the rest of the protein down. Right. It's just like yeah. <laughs> you need some rice to go with all that chicken. All right, fine. You can have some rice with it. It's just then you just do that and work out, and you'll be all right. You're at least going to be not terrible. Right. So, yeah, I mean, good. Well, okay. Yeah. I was, I was going to ask about like keto because that's another mm -hmm. thing that has its own little cult like following online. And there does seem to be some legitimate uses for it. Who should be experimenting with keto? Have you ever done it? What do you know about it? Keto could be a strategy for, again, so people, when I say like metabolically broken, like what am I talking about actually? Let me, let me qualify that. So if you are someone where you, let's, say, let's say you've been overweight your whole life, you're a fat kid, a fat teenager, a fat adult, you just, you've always been overweight. So you have dysregulated appetite. So your ghrelin, leptin, it's just, it's all fucked up. You know, you're hungry all the time. You're hungry even when you don't need to eat. You don't get full. You have intense food cravings. Uh, there, there are people like this where like they yeah. can't eat any, they can't, they're certain, you know, be like, say like, oh, everything I'm in moderation. There are lots of people where they can't moderate or modulate their intake. If they start eating, you know, whatever, French fries or something sweet or ice cream, they just have to keep eating until they're literally stuffed sick. Right. They have no ability to stop. They, they legitimately don't. Like they, they've broken themselves that way. Um, so you got a dysregulation of appetite. You have, you know, heightened insulin um, release where you're basically like, you know, pre-diabetic or, or diabetic. That's what type 2 diabetes is. It's just you become insulin insensitive. So you got that going on. So you, your, your gut is dysregulated, your insulin is dysregulated, hunger hormones, your, your brain, you know, with food itself, like if you've wired yourself to be like hyper addictive. So you've got problems, right? Shit, you kind of, you're fucked up. <laughs> what do you do? Keto dieting or, you know, and or carnivore is basically the high version of keto. The reason why that works for people is it because it removes everything that's causing the problems, which is the carbohydrate intake. Right. Just, just take it out. Just fucking take it out. So just remove it. Okay. When you do that, your insulin release is going to go way, way down. And your satiety is going to go way, way up because you're finally eating a lot of protein. And that can help you basically reset your metabolism. Well, it'll be a lot of fat, right? Yeah. Well, a, a traditional keto diet is actually 60% fat. So what most people do is not necessarily keto. It's usually more of like a, when I say carnivore, it's more like a, let's see. 40% fat, 60% protein. Ketogenic dieting Like can full work. ketosis. Like Yeah, like true to ketosis. The issue with ketogenic dieting is that you can also do what's called like dirty keto, where you still are basically overweight, but you're you're eating, you know, high fat diet. So like example, this stuff I see like uh, like so you could do keto dieting. You could be eating peanut butter and cheese wrapped bacon or bacon wrapped cheese and tons of deep fried shit and it's, it's still keto. So I, I could be having chicken fried steak with gravy and you know, like I said, like bacon cheese wraps and it, that's keto, super high fat, right? So I wouldn't suggest eating that way because you can still overeat. You can still overeat quite readily. Yeah. Um, but like when people do do that, but there's lots of people where they try keto, it's like, it didn't really work. I'm like, your food choices were still terrible. 
So what a lot of people, yeah. what a lot of keto people end up doing is they end up shifting to more of like a carnivore, just protein-based approach where it's not so much emphasizing the fat intake, it's the protein intake. Yeah. Um, Ted Naiman has a really good book about this with his diet, which is actually similar to a lot of other people's work. It's not to discredit him. He's just, he, he wrote a really good book um, where he talks about sort of like protein leveraging, where it's like, okay, if you eat a really high protein diet, what's like 60% of your calories are coming from protein, it's pretty much impossible to get fat. You know, contrast that with a high fat diet, which high fat diets can potentially be lo- like high satiety, or they can be low satiety where you're still overconsuming. Right. Um, you know, so keto dieting, like it's a mixed bag. Some people try it; it might change your life. You might try it, and nothing happens. It's cool or interesting, or there's no point to it. It seems like when people approach it, like as a from like the hack mentality, like oh, I'm gonna hack, I'm gonna just do this tip or this trick. You know, it's like they're they're trying to find a way to not do hard work essentially like they're trying to avoid discomforts like oh i get to just eat all this delicious fats i can just have these fat bombs and bacon wrapped Mm -hmm. cheese and stuff like that it's not gonna work you know like no diet's gonna work if that's what you're trying to do so it's like yeah i'm I'm sure like if you're gonna do a disciplined ketogenic diet i'm sure you're gonna see results in the same way that you're gonna see results if you do a disciplined like almost anything diet i mean about at the end of the day you just have to have less calories come in than what well, you yeah, that's, that's the other factor with keto <laughs> is that like i've had lots if you're an extremely overweight individual it might work out if you are normal ish body weight or not too overweight i don't know why you're doing keto you know a, a lot of people avoid education in favor of you know like, like you said quick fixes so i don't i don't want I, I was just talking about this with my my private membership group of guys i have where it's like some guys were asking for diet tips i'm like look you, you don't need tips you need to actually educate yourself on a first principle basis as to how does metabolism actually work? Why do you, do you, do you know why you even need to eat food in the first place? Do you understand why you need protein? Do you understand why you need fat? Do you, do you understand that your body's literally fucking made of amino acids and fatty acids and that glucose is preferred fuel source? Like, does that actually make sense to you? Do you understand there's an energy expansion every day that you that comes with being alive and your body's constantly having this turnover effect where you're literally rebuilding yourself on a second by second basis. Hmm. And you need more molecules coming in the form of food to continue that rebuilding process. Like, does that make sense? You know, I make it like super simple. Right. Like, okay. That, yeah, that makes sense. Like we're a living being. We need to eat, not die. Okay. I understand eat food. We need certain foods because we're literally made of those molecules. Like they're made of carbon, right? Okay, cool. That makes sense. So now that we yeah. Well, my cats. So now that we have that understanding, let's now look at protein and carbohydrates and fat with a more informed scientific critical thinking perspective. And we have more context to why we need to consume these things. Or it's like, fuck it. I don't want to learn anything. Just tell me, give me a list of shit that I shouldn't eat. It's like, I can give you a list, whether you're successful or not, you probably won't be. Right. Yeah. You actually, you don't actually want to change your behavior, your habits, or your thinking. You just want this list of directives of like, do this, not that. Yeah. And if that doesn't work, you're not going to know why. Exactly. And you know, speaking of first principles, like you know, you can talk about the first principles of like understanding how the bo- the body works and everything like that. Which I agree with you. It's it's very very important because then you have the rationale as to you know what you should do, and you can make your own educated decisions. Yeah. But. I, I like the the first principles too of just like habit change because that's my wheelhouse. That's really what I focus on is like, you know, the psychology of creating permanent habit shifts. And like at the end of the day, if you're picking a diet 
that you don't want to maintain and that you don't think you could, well, then you're going to have an issue at some point. Like if you don't come up with something that you do want to live, then you're going to go back to this pattern. Unless you consciously construct a new pattern, you will just go back to this old one that you're trying to get rid of. And that's why for me, like the, you know, the more you know, meat-based kind of approach has been useful because it feels like I can legitimately just focus on upgrading my diet, right? Like yes. I'm actually just like, okay, yeah, I'm going to have to spend a little bit more to buy the steaks and to, you know, make sure I got the, 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 ch- the meat, the chicken and, you know, fruit and you know, whatever it is. But like, it's an upgrade. It's, I actually deeply enjoy the food. And I think it's like people miss this sometimes where it's like, oh, I just need to eat shit I don't like. Like that's what I always used to think was like, oh, if I want to lose weight, I just have to eat a diet that fucking sucks. And that's, yes. and I just got to do that. And it's like, not exactly. No, you just need to be willing to upgrade. <laughs> and I think that's, to me, that seems to what like be what offers the longest term solutions to these sorts of things. Yeah, that's, that's a good way of framing it. I, you know, based on scientific literature, like it's like what's the best diet? That's a common question. Everything's a wash at the end of it. Like the only thing you'll find is that the best diet is the one that the individual is able to maintain over a long period of time. Right. The relative ratio of macronutrients or food choice, it again, it becomes n equals one. It's like whatever they could maintain over a long period of time. You know, with requisite habit changes like that seems to work. Well, which right. diet's that? Kind of all of them, because you can find examples of you know pretty much anything. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like the, but again, we're dealing with all this other stuff where it's like, all right, well, how do I make the freaking decisions? So before we move into the the training stuff, because I, I do want to talk about that, just kind of yeah. like wanted to get your feedback on like another big trend we have like with accounts out there like carnivore Aurelius and stuff like that who are obsessed with like the you know don't eat seed oils don't use teflon pans make sure you sure you sun your balls three times a week like all that kind of stuff like what do you think is is this like majoring in the minors is it branding like how much do we need to worry about like you know the the number of pounds of microplastics we're consuming a year and all that kind of stuff so yeah, I, I mean, that account has me blocked at this point, but <laughs> I, I like I like that account. Like, I, I do. Yeah, it's just I realized it was like a, a girl running it, and it's not a guy. And Is it, it really? Yeah. Um, which, no, it, it's, a, it's a woman, and she has like a team of people. Um, and uh-huh. they basically serve as like content um, steal other accounts that are a lot smaller, and then it's repost. It's like it's very little original content at this point. Wait, how did you discover that? Uh, that's That's a story there. Oh, no, it was outed like over a year ago. Uh-huh. Like someone did the tracking for like the liver crisps. It was like, wait, who actually owns this company? And it, it's, it's, it was, it was a chick, uh-huh. which, yeah, it was like a big surprise at the time. And I should even define this. I, so there, there's a spear. I know there's a spear online. Your listeners are probably part of it where it's like the, the right wing bodybuilder, tradcon, conservative, mainstream rebellion, Twitter community. You know, it's like yes, a lot of sure. things that you yeah, just yeah. kind of shove together, right? Like, yes. And also, it's like it's crypto and Bitcoin and karmarism and red pill and, and all that kind and, of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Red pill and fuck the feds. It's all this shit, right? <laughs> um, so at the time, like a lot of people for a while, like thought I was like, oh, it's a dude running this account. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, no, it's a girl. But then, you know, the, like this is how the internet works. Like, so there's this belief that the internet's forever. I think that's categorically false. The internet is not forever. The internet is about one second memory span and then everyone forgets shit and just goes on to the next day. Yeah. So the internet isn't permanent. 
So it came out like, wait, this is a girl who runs this account. And then everyone was really mad for like a day. Interesting. And, they just and then nobody gave him. a shit. It's like, fuck it, whatever. <laughs> um, but anyway, and that, that account, like, I like the account. Like whoever the chick who's doing it and her team, like they're good. Like yeah, they're it's creating this health awareness of like the yeah. modern world wants you sick. Um, but again, like I try to, you know, people, I, I joke about being bro science, which I am, but like, let's, let's be men of our, let's be thinking men. What are most people's major fucking issues? You eat too much. You don't exercise. You need to change your food choices. Like, so you need to move the big rocks first. But those are heavy. Protein. Yeah. You need to eat more protein. You need to fucking not have so much goddamn soda. Like this super basic shit, right? You need to walk. Yeah. Like. These are the big rocks you got to move. Sunning your balls, worrying about microplastics, not even, wearing you know, whether you're eating organic, polyester, like, like all that kind of stuff. Yeah, polyester, like a lot of lot, some of this is some of the stuff is completely fucking questionable. Yeah, T tweets and Instagram posts are not substitutions for legitimate education, and I don't mean education that you got to go to university, but there is education where hey, let's look at actual scientific literature, articles books people who actually work in these fields and then there's just like reading fucking tweets where you can just make shit up right. or instagram but you just make shit up, shit up half the time and if it sounds cool oh it must be true then whatever um all that stuff like you said it's just, a lot of it's just majoring in the minor like i i just i crack up at stuff but i'm like it, i mean and i like this I, I like to fucking get sunshine i like to tan sure. you know I'm like am i gonna worry about the microplastics and like the disposable drink cup I bought from the gas station. Like I'm not concerned about that. You know, because objectively I know what my metabolic health is. I can check my heart rate, my blood pressure, my testosterone, my glucose. I, I can check. I have numbers for all these things. You know, my HDL, my other, my triglycerides, the ratio. I'm like, I, I have actual data of like, okay, am I healthy? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm fucking healthy. I'm in the optimal range for everything. So is this, you know, drink cup from McDonald's going to, I don't know, poison me where 50 years from now I get like a weird disease. And like you, you're making a lot of, a lot of fucking leaps in logic there to even argue that. You know, when, when you're arguing for an outcome that's based on another hypothetical premise, right? based on another hypothetical premise, based on another behavior that doesn't even lead to the fucking first premise, which doesn't lead to the second, like, do you realize like how fucking busted your argument is? Like yeah. that's not you're not you're not establishing causality there. It's like okay, well if you do A, you might do, if you do A, you might get B, which creates C, which could create D, which then creates you know A B C D E, which E. It's like right. You can't even prove that A and B are fucking have a fucking correlation with each other at all. None. Yes. Yeah. I, I think so, that I don't worry about that. I agree. I think there's just like. At least not until it's not worth worrying about that kind of stuff until you get those big stones like you're talking about taken care of. Those big things of your basic health, your basic nutrition, are you lifting, all that kind of stuff. But that's where it always comes back to. It's like, are you gonna are you gonna be someone who's just a shortcut seeker or are you someone who's really trying to make a transformation? And you know, we gotta be we gotta do that. And so speaking like like shifting into the training side of things, I think that this is uh also prevalent here because of the amount of that steroids that are basically either that are in use like publicly or just the fake natty kind of thing because yeah. i think when guys first start lifting okay you know they first start getting into stuff they look things up they don't know 
that most of the people they're looking at are all on steroids. And so this like automatically makes a huge difference. And, and then you have the people who claim they're not, and they clearly are. And they that's are. even worse. Like, like I have no problem. There's a lot of like guys out there who are open about their steroid use. They're like, you know, competitive power lifters. They have like, you know, very interesting accounts. They make great content. They're very smart people. I'm all for that kind of shit. In fact, there's like a new niche of the guys who are just like, yeah, we do steroids and we make fun of people who claim they don't. Right. Like there's, I'm fine with that, but I think what like the steroid image for guys has really screwed things up. And you, as far as I know, you don't do steroids. You don't look like you do steroids and that's not an insult. You look incredibly naturally healthy, but like, (laughs) I guess I wanted to ask you that, like as someone who has a lot to gain from doing Mm -hmm. steroids, why haven't you? My only motivation to do steroids would be to impress guys in nature. But you can make money. You can make more money doing it. I I probably, you know, I probably would. Like, I mean, this, yeah, it's just, it's one of those things. Like, I when I was younger, I'm like, man, like, what, 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 like, do I want to take steroids? I know, objectively, I've got really bad genetics for strength. So I've, I've got really long arms, really long legs. I do not have like a powerlifter build, right? At all. I'm fucking lanky as shit. Um, How tall? Don't have good. Like six two. Okay. Um, it is yeah. Like I like my like my. I have a short torso, very long femurs, like I'm kind of like, you know, like the swimmer basketball player kind of body. Sure. Like I, I don't have the genetics to fucking be good at powerlifting. Yeah. I don't have a genetics for bodybuilding. Yeah, I'm, I'm very honest about it. Like my genetics are slightly above average. I have wide shoulders, which makes you look good. Small waist. Uh, but I don't have exceptional muscle and genetics. Don't. I've, I've trained lots of people with labor genetics in me. I've seen firsthand like, wow, man, this guy looks fucking great. Damn. You know, like someone that has good genetics. You, they know it immediately. You know, within yeah. fucking a month of training. Yeah. Anyway, you know, but so the steroid question is like, okay, if if you look at physiques, let's say, you know, t- take out like the steroid, you know, guy, t- t- Olympic competitors, bodybuilders, go, go look at physiques of like in films. You know, let's say nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties, nineteen seventies. Like, look at what was considered fit. You know, it's like, oh, right. okay, dudes look pretty good. And then you get like in the nineteen eighties, obviously. Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, where it's like, damn, like I didn't know you could be that muscular and that fucking ripped. I'm like, yeah, they're, they're at that point, like, yeah, they're kind of juiced up. And then, yeah, even the film industry, like, steroids are used all the goddamn time for body transformations. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 300. I love that fucking movie. You know, it's a great film. Like, I don't give a fuck that anyone used steroids. You know, I don't give a shit sure. that Gerard Butler was juicing up. You know, but Gerard Butler got fucking, you know, just fucking was a brick shit house for film. Everybody remembers it. It's like, God damn, look at this dude. Fucking abs or car, shoulders. He never looked like that again. Yeah. And, you know, Derek from our place, he does these great, like, deep dives into these before and afters where it's like, you know, when you see these guys who somehow they get to, like, single digit body fat, exceptionally fucking muscular. Yeah. And maybe they don't look like they're on steroids. They're not freakishly huge. But, like, they're right at that edge of, like, damn, is that, is that possible to, like, look like that that fast? And then they complain they're then after the movie's over, just body melts. They right. never look like that again out of that one film. It's like, yeah, that's being on gear. And then you know, even today, there's lots of guys, and people don't realize I, I've written program, I've written steroid cycles for athletes. You can be on gear, doesn't mean you're gonna look like fucking Ronnie Coleman or Jay Cutler. There is a such thing as genetic responsiveness to the steroids themselves. Hmm. So you can have guys where it's like they're at the again they're kind of at the edge of like is that naturally possible because this dude's like 
kind of he's like you know eight pack yeah he's like 220 i mean he's not huge but he looks fucking great right it's like and it looks like that year around like he's probably on gear yeah, you, you'd be amazed at how many dudes take steroids and actually don't look that impressive they definitely get leaner like they look muscular but they don't look even how they were expecting to look like despite fucking juicing yeah it's, it's, it can be kind of like a letdown for a lot of people in fact um it doesn't always do what you think it does you know but it's become so prevalent in the fitness industry where yeah it's always paradoxical because like on a personal level i, I like to see freaks and I, I i like seeing freaky dudes and i want to encourage people to aspire to like the craziest fucking image of themselves they could possibly be like don't go into the gym putting artificial limitations on yourself you know and thinking like oh i can only get so big or so strong like go in there believing that you're gonna turn into a fucking monster whether that happens though like it might happen it might not right yeah and yeah if, if you are using enhanced bodies as a frame of reference for what you look like you are in fact probably going to be disappointed yeah like I'll, I'll, we got one guy i really like um who i know is natural who looks great but you know this is stats like he's natural so you know, gregor gallagher keno body yeah, I know. Greg looks fucking fantastic. Been training really hard for a long time. It looks really good. Greg's like 5'10, 175. Like his actual body weight, like for his height and his weight, great body composition. He's not exceptionally large, not doesn't have 20 charms, but aesthetically, right, looks fucking good. Really good example of what you can achieve naturally with right. you know a decade plus of dedicated fucking training and, and good working genetics. your ass off. And, you know, and good genetics and being fucking strict with your diet. Like, good example, right. you know? like, But it takes time, right? Sure. All right, everybody. Uh, Ajax here, he had a bit of a power outage yesterday. So this is part two of the interview. Um, luckily, his power is back on and we are ready to roll again. So we were talking about uh, steroids and stuff last time. And I think you'd mm -hmm. given pretty much most of your... Uh, you know, you had kind of completed your thought. And so I wanted to move on to this next question around TRT because mm -hmm. I see TRT becoming more and more popular today. It's like, um, in a lot of ways, it's almost like plastic surgery for guys, uh, even though guys are now getting plastic surgery and stuff too. But it's mm -hmm. it's more of like the, the macho equivalent of it. And I've had like guys my age, uh, or even yeah. younger, uh, like I'm 32 and they're set, they're, they're going on TRT and they say, Hey man, yeah, you should, you should go on it. You should. Um, what's your thoughts on that, on TRT? Like who should be using it? Who shouldn't be, you know, like what are the dangers that kind of stuff? So I have contributed to, I think a few books now about this topic. I even wrote a guide myself some weeks ago, uh, that I had on Substack. Also, I just posted to my website, um, as like a PDF, downloadable PDF. But testosterone replacement therapy, it's been around a long time. It definitely makes a difference you know, in physical performance and recovery and just feeling different. That's is it really a, is there like Is it the same thing as steroids or is there a difference? Okay, yeah, that's always the golden question. Is this steroids? So the only so this is, I explained this in the guide, but I'll, I'll tell you everything here. The difference between a steroid dose versus a TRT dose is just the amount. Okay. There is no such thing as... TRT testosterone versus steroid testosterone. That's They're the same thing. The same molecule, same hormones, same thing. The purpose of TRT is that you get your, your testosterone levels to a natural level of production. 
So typically, if you go to a good clinic, they will test. They have to get, you have to get blood work done. You can't diagnose yourself. You have to get objective blood work done clinically. It comes back. It's below 500. Let's say it's 200. Wow, that's, that's low. Total testosterone is low. Okay. You go on TRT. The TRT dose is intended to get you to about, let's say, close to 1,000. That's usually like the sweet spot. That's getting you close to 1,000 total levels. And if it does that, awesome. And you just you stand that dose. Like, cool. You know, like we figure out your dosing, and this is what you do each week. Uh, you, bi-weekly or every other day is better than a once-a-week shot. You know, if you go to an up-to-date uh, clinic, they'll probably tell you that bi-weekly is better. And if you're on for life, that's just how it goes. It's not something that you cycle on and off of. I've had I've had guys asking this who are young. It's like, could I could I try TRT and come off? And what for? You're not gonna you're not gonna keep the gains if you get any at all by doing a 12 week cycle of TRT. The same way, you know, if you want to try steroids, it's like, hey, I want to try steroids. Okay, you can. You could build 50 pounds of muscle hypothetically if you do a full blown steroid cycle. If you come off and never use it again, you're not keeping that muscle tissue. Hmm. You know, maybe you'll keep a pound or two of it, but there's lots of before and afters of IP pro bodybuilders who are, you know, who are huge in their prime. Right. They come off all the drugs and they look like normal guys. Right. It's like, what, you know, it's total mind fuck. Like, what happened? It's like, steroids make a difference. Now, TRT, of course, is not that high of a dose, so it's not going to be that dramatic. Uh, but trying out just to try it out is stupid. If you're going to use it, you, you need a defined clinical need. You have to be hypogonadal. They have to be demonstrated through blood testing. And if that's the situation, go for it. If it's not and you are in normal range, your testosterone are healthy, you feel good, sex drive is there, workouts are there, physical performance is there, there's no objective reason that you should be trying TRT. That's something for when you're older and your production does potentially decline, and then it's a possibility. Okay. So thank you for that. A couple of questions on yeah. that. So particularly on like the, the older guys, like the mm-hmm. – what do you think about this idea? It's like TRT is basically like this fountain of youth for men. It's like, okay, normally guys would have to go through this cycle of TR, their test levels dropping. And now you just don't have to if you don't want to. And you can just you know keep going for forever. And so I wonder about just the natural life cycle of the organism. Like, is there any downside to this? Or is it really just like, hey, yeah, you can just feel fucking awesome for until you're 80 or 90 or you just straight up die. I don't think there's any downside, actually. Hmm. So there was early on, like 1980s, 1990s, there were fears in the medical community, scientific community, that you know maybe testosterone causes prostate cancer, maybe it's going to cause heart problems, and the majority of that this ended up being disproven. If your dose, if your levels are kept within natural range, you don't have any negative cardiovascular effects. You know, in fact, just normal testosterone levels, healthy, healthy testosterone levels are cardioprotective. You know, so it was, it's kind of the opposite of what all, hmm. all the, the fears were. It's like, okay, if we get these men to health testosterone levels, if we look at the data sets of men who experience heart attacks, who have cardiovascular events, uh, having low testosterone is worse than having high testosterone. Now, if it gets too high, okay, that's its own issue. But again, if we keep it within high normal range, we're fine. You know, prostate cancer, the same thing. You know, for a long time, men were told this, like, if your testosterone levels are high, prostate cancer. If you're on TRT, prostate cancer. The long-term research did not demonstrate that. You know, the, a lot of the new treatment, some of the part of the new treatment for prostate cancer is actually giving men who are hypogonadal testosterone 
because again, healthy testosterone levels are, you know, in this case, prostate protective. You know, so you know, being castrated uh, is not an advantage health-wise. Uh, so, you know, hypothetically, like, you know, could you be on TRT at eighty? Yeah, you could. You definitely could. You know, were the long-term consequences? I don't think there would be any. You know, maybe you could hypothesize about well, what about if you get cancer? Could that have a negative effect? The way that growth hormone does on you know tumors, like you could, but it, that, that this becomes very circumstantial. The only yeah. way to know whether it's going to be negative is just to look at the data probably 20 years from now of men that have been on for you know, 30, 40, 50 years. If they're in their 70s and 80s and they're still kicking and they're healthy and they're feeling great, it's as safe as you can get. Right. And so it makes me wonder, like, oof, like in our generation, like it's just going to become like that's what you do. You know, you hit, you know, late 50s, 60s, something like that. You just go on TRT and just like every dude's on it then after a certain age point. Probably. I mean, the other complicating factor with cancer is just to be, uh, you know, medically responsible, trying to lay everything out, is that for any population of people, no matter how healthy they are, your likelihood of getting cancer past age 70 dramatically increases just because you're 70. Right. Yeah. So, you know, this is where it's like, well, could it cause cancer? I'm like, there's going to be a conflation effect where, okay, we, we know that people who are 70 plus, they're probability of being cancer is something like 25% higher. Right. And the older you get, the more likely you are to have cancer just because you're just old. So, you know, if you have an old guy who's 70, he's on TRT, let's say he gets cancer, it's like, oh, TRT cost. It's like, you can't prove that at all. He might have gotten cancer because he's 77 or 71 right. or 72. He's just, you're in that age bracket where things start to go wrong. Yeah, so what you're really, what you're really looking at with, with TRT is, is it causing problems in young guys? If it's leading to health complications in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, okay, maybe there, there's risk here. But again, the data doesn't show that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's what they would have to see is like if the people who are on TRT long term, like into older age, if their rate for cancer is like higher, then it's kind of becomes the question of like, well, do I want to potentially get like more youth into my old age with potentially higher cancer risk or do I want to, uh, you know be able to do less reps in the gym and maybe less, less cancer risk kind of. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how that, that progresses. Cause I know that the anti-aging science that's just taking off right now. It's like, it's, it's, you know, it's been one of the biggest focuses for, for decades. And I know it's, it's going to keep going further and further, you know, as, as we get into this and TRT is going to become like a, a entry level, like anti-aging technique, I'm sure at some point. I mean, it's even now it's popular. It's it's interesting because it, yeah, in the medical community and the community, like TRT, it's been around for quite a few decades now. You know, but the public at large still is just not aware of it. You know, if if you work in anti aging medicine, it can seem very saturated. Where it's like, oh, everybody knows about TRT. Yeah, when I talk about testosterone, when I tell guys about their testosterone levels, most men today still are completely clueless. They really they don't understand how it works. They don't they don't know how testosterone production works. They don't know why it's important. You know, the only bit of knowledge they have about testosterone is that it, it increases sex drive. Like, you know, okay, high testosterone, sex. That's it. That's, that's not even it fully, right? Because, like, the guy no, who's on no. steroids, he's not, like, 10 like ten times more testosterone. He's not 10 times hornier than the average person, right? There's just, like, a... a, a... I mean, potentially he could be. I mean, this depends upon dose. You know, like, okay. it depends on what you're taking. Um, does testosterone, you know, especially at a super physiological dose, you know, high dose, if you're taking... 
500 milligrams a week, a thousand milligrams a week of tea. Is your sex drive increased? Absolutely. Yeah, every guy will tell you that. Like you can become insanely horny. Yeah, and certain drugs make you more horny than others. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the reason why testosterone is so powerful is not because it makes you want to have sex all the time, but because its effects on abolism are, right. you know, it's like a superpower. You know, your ability, your body's ability to recover is just massively accelerated. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the thing that is like the CrossFit games just happened, you know, a little bit ago. And those people, like, I'm, I'm obviously no expert, but those people seem to be some of the most juiced up people I've like ever seen. Like in terms of just like outside of a bodybuilding show or a powerlifting mm-hmm. meet, they seem to me to be the most obviously juiced people I've ever seen. Would you agree with that, or am, or, am I, or is CrossFit really just like that magical that it can give? Oh no, they're they're all juiced up at this point. <laughs> I mean, and, and that's not to pass judgment on CrossFit athletes in particular, but the, the reality of sport at the elite level is that everybody's on something, right? Like, but I mean, like you look at the women in CrossFit, for example, and compare them to they, they're elite all women, like yeah. any other elite female athletes. Like it's a it's a it's a night and day difference. I mean, you know, CrossFit selects for. If, you know, to, to be a really awesome CrossFit athlete, you just you need to be an exceptional athlete, period. You need a lot of muscle mass. You need to have really good cardio. You need to be really good at lifting weights, you know, gymnastics, basically, and all this, all this shit. You know, like CrossFit's right. pretty broad. And, you know, I, so I see the girls that are good at it. It's like it already selects for, I want to say a manly woman, but it's, it's, it, it selects for an extremely athletic female. Right. You know, if you're a girl who's built very boxy with wide shoulders – and narrow hips, and you got you know thick legs. Like you might be good at CrossFit. Right. You, know, you don't you don't see Savelle petite women excelling at CrossFit for obvious reasons. You just fucking don't. So then you, you know, so you take a selected population of women who are already really good athletes. It's like all right, let, let's let's add in a little bit of Anavar here. Let's let's add in some low dose stuff. Just just low dose it. You know, just enough so you don't look ridiculous. And then you see these chicks now, where it's like, damn, they're close. She's got pretty big fucking traps or fucking shoulder veins or that's an incredibly muscular upper body for a woman. Shit. Oh, yeah. Um, there's there's ones that make me question like shit. Like, am I do I even lift like holy yeah, shit? Like, Her I, stomach looks like a turtle like, what shell. What the fuck am I doing in the gym? I'm like <laughs> those girls run here. Yeah. I mean, this is a thing now, you know, fitness industry for a long time, too. Like there's 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 bikini competitors that are on the fucking low dose anabolics. Because the body fat, even just like the ability it helps with body fat and everything, right? Yeah, it helps you get leaner, helps you preserve muscle mass. Um, it, it's going to have masculinizing effects, just it always will. It's right. unavoidable. Yeah, especially, I mean, you can tell us by the voice when you hear these women talk in an interview and it sounds kind of like a dude. Growth like, hormone is the one that'll like change your face shape and stuff, right? Uh, at very high doses, it can. Okay. But that's not something so athletes and growth hormones hugely beneficial for athletes. But to get like the like the facial growth effects, typically you need really high dosing, like beyond what anyone almost can afford. So growth hormone, clinical grade growth hormone is extremely expensive. Even if you go overseas, you're looking at spending one two thousand uh, dollars, you know, for you know, the, a relatively short cycle, taking like one or two IU's a day. Hmm. Uh, I've known bodybuilders where they're taking like 10, 20 IUs of GH a day. Just it's a lot, a lot of GH. And yes, that can make your face grow, your hands grow. You just get that thickening effect. Uh, for professional athletes, they don't need to take that much. Maybe they're taking two IUs, three or hmm. four IUs a day. 
if they can afford it. It's just it's it's not cheap at all. Um, but you know, will it make your face thicker? Not so much. It's probably more so going to just going to be the anabolics they're doing over a long period of time. Anabolics but, you know, but, too. Yeah, but, but if you, the thing is, women are much more susceptible to the androgenic effects of steroids. So you know, a, a guy if you take testosterone, like you definitely will build muscle one hundred percent, right? You're going to build muscle, going to be stronger for sure. You're already a man. Like right. it's not going to deepen your voice a whole bunch and make your jaw grow. Like it's just gonna you're just gonna have muscle mass. You're adding tissue. Women, it will some semi convert you into a dude. So right. like you will have a thickening of vocal cords. You will have you know mandible mandibular growth in the jaw. You will have increased body hair. Uh, that's why they sound and look like what they sound like. If you've ever if you've ever been around like female professional bodybuilders, it's you know, all all respect for them for you know taking their body to the extreme, but it, it can be it's absolutely terrifying as like a regular you know heterosexual natural guy because you're around these women and they're they're muscular to the level of men, like they're freakishly muscular, right? You know, the way a male bodybuilder would be. But it's a woman, but she sounds like a man, and yep. looks basically. I like can see a man. that be a bit and, disconcerting. Yeah, and yeah, like I've I've met a few. I've met them in the past when I was doing bodybuilding. I'm like, yeah, it's just like it kind of just makes you just cognitive distance. Like your brain can't process it. I'm like, this is a woman. She's 240 pounds. She's nine percent body fat. She's she's bald. She's wearing a wig because all her hair fell out. Her oh. voice is deeper than mine, but it's a woman. But like, you know, visually it's like everything's telling you this is a dude, but no, it's a woman. Like, yeah, how's that happen? It's like, well, that's what fucking steroids does to you. Right. It's interesting. Like at the extreme end of this kind of stuff, it's, it's, it's obsessive, you know, it's like, to me, like I've had a a lot of experience with, you know, uh, people who've had pretty serious eating disorders in their life. Mm. And it seems almost kind of like a similar sort of thing where there's like this obsession with this ideal that is, uh, very far outside the realm of normal in many cases and can be quite detrimental to your own health. And so I'm not saying everybody who's like, you know, extreme bodybuilder or whatever has a, you know, mental disorder, but I'm also not saying that they don't have a mental disorder because it's, it's just a, an extreme pursuit that costs you so much. And like, you know, just, I see it on the eating disorder side, they're doing the same thing just in the opposite direction. They're just trying to become as small as possible. And, uh, you know, it's because it's they have this obsession and it comes from this, you know, all kinds of the insecurity and everything like that. So I don't know. It, it makes me kind of sad to see that because I've of what I've seen a similar sort of thing due to people with eating disorders. But I don't know. What do you, what can you do? I mean, human, human beings are just, you know, people are interesting. Yeah, I, I try not to be judgmental of different types of people like people are interesting and the human propensity for obsession and for wanting to take something to an unknown level and using the body as like an experiment, uh, you know, there's, there's shit that you wouldn't believe, basically. <laughs> when, you, when you see what people will be willing to do to themselves, like, what, you know, why? There's no rational explanation for it. Like, why this, you know, this degree of body modification, transmogrification, as it's called. Like, why, why are you doing this? Like, what's, what's the purpose? I don't think they even really know. It's just... They get they get off on the experience of having a level of control and being able to reshape themselves visually, physically, you know, to a level that other people find very disconcerting. What's that doing for you? Again, like there, there's no rational cause for it. You know, I whether think it's, it's a status thing. Or power, I think it's status it within their niche. It's like they get maybe. to be they move up and you know whatever it is. Like we all have got our our 
status that we care about. Like, you know, me, I want to be a good coach. I want to, you know, win in the game of online business. And so I compare myself to other people in that field. And I think they, they just kind of get themselves hooked into like the muscle mass status hierarchy. And then their brain releases that serotonin as they, you know, go up the ladder. That's the only thing I can think of. Maybe I, I think a lot of it is more of an addictive behavior. Where like the like the reason for the behavior is the behavior itself. It's just it's a loop. Like why are you doing this? Because I can do it. Like you're doing it because you can do it. So why are you doing it? The the why is the how is the because is the what is the why. Like you just you don't you, like there is no you can't define like an A B of like well they're doing this because of this. They're doing this because this can be done because it can be done because they can do it and it just keeps circling back around. And they have done it. And so yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I can see that for sure. Um, so question about like testosterone levels here, like I've heard some people say that, well, obviously testosterone levels fluctuate at what speed do they fluctuate? So like if you go into, um, it was actually someone I had a brute de force who I had on my previous interview. He was talking about how, like, if you go in and you get your blood taken, like under fluorescent lights, you know, while you're just like sitting in a, you know, room or whatever, that's not necessarily indicative of what your test levels really are at is that true or is it something where like it'll it'll respond to your environment like that much or is it uh take much longer to fluctuate and so it's like you know it is a pretty good accurate representation of where you're at no i mean so the way to know your testosterone levels accurately testosterone is predominantly released in the morning and then it declines throughout the day so if you want to know your levels you have to get measured in the morning and that's going to be your baseline level your body can produce acute amounts of testosterone throughout the day. Let's say if you lift weights, there's an acute testosterone production. Um, let's say you're about to have sex. You're with a woman. You know, like you, you're, you're going to fuck. There's an acute increase in testosterone. Uh, but your overall baseline is not going to change that much. You know, like the half-life of testosterone means it will drop with the course of the day. But it's not as if, let's say, let's say you wake up in the morning, your levels are at 800. Over the course of the day, they decline to about you know 500, roughly half that. They go back up as your body produces in the morning, and then you know, it's this natural rise fall. Um, you know, but it's not as if like if you wake up in the morning, okay, my levels were 800, then I went and sat in a chair, and they dropped down to 250, and then I went and had sex, and they shot to 1,000, and then I went and lifted weights, and they went even higher, and then I rested, and they dropped back down. Like it's not, it's not a roller coaster kind of effect. Okay. Yeah, it's just it's a it's a rise. Gradual fall, rise, gradual fall. Uh, you know, you know, so I mean, to the point about blood work of like, well, what, how do you know what's accurate? First thing in the morning, you wake up, that's when you'd have those tests done. If you haven't done at the end of the day, it's not going to be an accurate picture. If you haven't done, you know, at a random time, like you want to get it done in the morning. Yeah, the same way you'd want to get, you know, a sort of like a glucose sure. test done. You want to find out your blood sugar is, fasted blood sugar. Well, it has to be fasted. You know, like you wouldn't go out and eat cotton candy and then go get blood work done to like, Hey, what's, what's my, you know, what's my glucose level at? Like you just ate cotton candy. So it's not going to be an accurate reading. We want to find out what's at again as baseline, you know, without any outside interference. Okay. Okay, cool. Thank you. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about training here. I, I've been following mm-hmm. you for, for years at this point, And I remember back you, I don't remember how long ago exactly it was, but you were talking about like the the value of like one legged 
like strength train, like training one leg at a time instead of just doing like squats and deadlifts and that sort of thing because of uh, something about just like, you know, how it's easier on your joints or something like that. And I, at the time, like that was back when I was like into powerlifting. I was like, yeah, all right, whatever, pussy. Um, <laughs> and uh, over time, like I was like, shit, I can't keep doing powerlifting. My body does not really like it too much. Um, and I wasn't even like that old. And so I'm curious, like, to what your philosophy is around, like, training for longevity, because, mm-hmm. you know, today, I think it's it's very, very popular, like, a lot of ways with the advent of CrossFit, um, it's made barbell lifts far more popular. And then oh, yeah. you, you put you crank that up with the power of Instagram. And it's like everybody's deadlift is basically their surrogate penis size, and like everyone's trying to trying to go after it, right? So, <laughs> what do you think of about this this obsession with the big heavy compound barbell lifts? Is it uh, you know potentially detrimental to longevity? And you know what are the alternatives? I mean, potentially, like yeah, like my perspective on training is is quite basic. It's just if you want to be healthy, lift weights in a manner that suits your goals, you know, relative to what your goals are contextually and don't hurt yourself. Right. If you, now, if you want to be a competitive athlete, you are probably going to sacrifice your body at some point or another, but that's a different situation. You're a competitive athlete. You want to be a pro, you want to be elite. Okay. So you do what's necessary. The barbell lifts, you know, like my background was at one time was actually working for a powerlifting company, LiftTS. I wrote a lot of articles for them. Knew a lot of powerlifters. Powerlifts are awesome. I mean, barbell is a very useful training tool. Is it the ultimate tool? Is it the ultimate tool? Is it the ultimate tool above all others that the results you get from the barbell cannot be replicated by anything else? No. You can get comparable muscle gaining effects from a lot of different training implements. Uh, the barbell, when it works for you, it works really well. If it doesn't work for you, that's okay. You don't need to force feed it. People who are naturally good at barbell lifts like to do barbell lifts. Right. Yeah. Like I saw, I just, I realized at a certain point, like there's a, again, a genetic selection process. Yeah. Like uh, just using like myself as an example, I have terrible leverages for the Olympic lifts. Yeah. Like I, I have the opposite body that you'd want for Olympic lifting. I've tried them. I'm like, this just doesn't work for my physique. Right. Yeah. I could force feed it and make it work. Like, fuck this. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm like, is this, is this worth me fucking my shoulders up, my spine up, my hips up for movements that I'm never even going to be strong at? Right. I don't think so. The same thing for the you know powerlifting. I'm like, I love powerlifting. I think it's fucking cool. Yeah. Relative to how I built my body, I'm very honest about it. I'm like, I have absolutely shit leverages for strength. I got a short torso, long legs, long arms. I'm very, you know, I don't have a deep chest wall. I'm like, I'm not good at these fucking lifts. Now, is it my goal in life to be a powerlifter and impress other people with how much weight I lift? No, I actually don't really care about that. I mean, as a man, you want to be strong, obviously. Sure. You know, but relative to what I do, I'm like, which is it's essentially combat sports. I'm like, does how much you squat bench deadlift really make a difference in your fighting ability? Not really. At like a weak correlation at absolute best. It's like as long as you have like basic strength, you're not really going to. Yeah, get I mean, as long as you have basic strength, like the reality is, if you, if you were to get a whole bunch of elite boxers, you know, world class level boxers, you know, competitors, Muay Thai athletes in a room, it's like, all right, let's test everyone's deadlift. 
nobody even trains to deadlift because it doesn't fucking matter. Right. Like you can be really good at lifting weights and terrible at fucking fighting. Your ability to lift weights and your ability to fight are two completely different things, just not related to each other at all. Uh, so, you know, so for myself, I'm like, as I got older, I'm like, let me actually pursue something that I can have some real skill in and really enjoy. And I stopped caring so much about how much weight I lift or what lifts I do. Like, I don't, I don't actually give a fuck anymore. Just, it doesn't matter to me. Right. You know, I only lift weights at this point twice a week with maybe one other day. That's like a very short session. It's very secondary. Um, you know, for other guys though, like, again, like, what are your goals? If you want to get big and strong, use the best tools and strategies possible. If the barbell is one of those tools and it works well for you, fucking use it. Um, you know, I was just making a video about this for you know, um, one of my programs I'm working on. But like, if you have the natural biomechanics to squat, fucking squat. You know, like if you're, you know, Tom Platts, for example, the dude just, he had the perfect build for squatting. Very upright torso, perfect hip structure, knees come forward, can just sit straight down, come straight up. Like if that's, if that's your body, this is going to work great for you. Like it's going to be a question of how strong you want to get. Right. If you're going to back squat and you're having to take a really wide stance, hips back, chest forward, and it's almost like a good morning and it's in your low back is what you're always feeling from it. Maybe this isn't the best exercise. Right. Yeah. Like in you know, the male chest beating over, I mean, this has been on the internet now for like a decade, I feel like, and it still happens. It's like, if you don't squat bench Della, if you're a fucking faggot, pussy, bitch, boy, loser, queef, you suck dick, like you take <laughs> cock up the ass, like you're not a real man. Okay, okay bro. Like, yes, you're fucking made it. Okay. Like, great fucking argument. I just don't give a shit. You know, like, I, I've, met, I've been in this industry a long time, and the number of people I've seen who are really strong with fucking sad, pathetic fucking lives is a lot. Hmm. Lifting weights is fucking cool. I love I love lifting weights. I love seeing heavy fucking weight get smashed. Like competitive strength sports, like competitive sports are like shit's fucking cool. Men are gonna compete with anything. But your ability to pick up a perfectly machined, perfectly balanced instrument, put circular weights on it and lift it, I don't think that says as much about your character as you think it does or you want to believe it does. I've yeah. known a lot of pieces of shit that can lift weights good, and they're still a piece of shit human being with a <laughs> lack of ethics, and the rest of their life sucks. But they're good lifting yeah. weights. Like it's just it's just one thing. It's yes. one thing, and yes. it's not going to last. You know, like I'm much more impressed now. And the guys who I look up to as mentors are like, if you're in your 50s and you're 50s, 60s, and you're still fucking fit, you're still killing it. You're still training without you're serious able- body pain. Yeah, without serious pain injuries, like you're still performing at a high level, like you have immense quality satisfaction in life. Like that's 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 fucking awesome. Right. Those are the guys who I study now. I'm like, what are you doing differently? You're like, what are your strategies? Like, what's your perspective? Let, let me talk to you and you know, share some of your knowledge, or you know, have you shared some of your knowledge with me? Hopefully, so I can learn something. Yeah, you know, a, a 25 year old who guy where his biggest accomplishment in life is that he deadlifted five plates or whatever, six plates, whatever the fuck, lift. I'm like. Cool. Yeah. Like you're still, you're still fucking poor. <laughs> this is the thing is like, I, I pointed this out one time and people it's just, it's, got it's very, so it's very mad. One dimensional. It's just really right. fucking one dimensional. But I guess like for people today, it's like they come from this life where, you know, they're just, most guys are just sitting around jerking off playing video games, uh, you know, going to the gym. Like you were, you were saying earlier, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the first part of our talk, like that, that puts you in kind of like this rare air. And so they feel like, oh well, I'm I'm fit now, so like I'm done, right? Like that's it. Like I, I'm I'm the coolest dude around now. I'm the best version of myself. I was like, no, 
No. In many ways, you're just kind of starting the journey, right? Like when you learn how to develop, like, yes, getting in shape will develop self-discipline and self-confidence and all that kind of stuff. But that should then just be a springboard that you use to, like, go after the rest of your life. I think, you know, the majority of us, we're not going to be professional athletes. Um, and even if you are going to be a professional athlete, you're not going to be a professional athlete for forever, right? So it's like at some point, you have to expand your domain of competence beyond just the gym. Uh, and so it's like, yeah, I imagine in the fitness like industry, you, you see that a lot where people are just fitness is life and, you know, lifting is life. The gym is life. And then they just don't have too much else going for them. Extremely common. Um, I mean, here's like, here's the thing I've built my business on fitness. Like I, I get people in shape. I get men right. strong and I know what it does, what it can do for you. Like lifting weights is, you know, is 80% of self-improvement for men. You know, why? Because it it's, it's proof that you have the power to change yourself. It demonstrates that you have control over your body, your time, your energy, your life. It does many great things. But like you said, there is more to life than just lifting. There's more to life than the gym. Uh, everybody has their thing that they want to be the best at or be, the, you know, or be really good at. You know, I mean, you can't be the best, but you can be really excellent. Make sure that thing serves you beyond itself. Yeah, I just see, I, I've, like I said, I've been in this for a long time where I've seen people where they get very wrapped up into their lifting, their weights, getting stronger. And that's all good. Like it's productive, but it becomes the predominant focus of their life. And for what? Yeah. If you're not setting records, if you're not winning medals, if you're not competing on the international stage, if you're not really actually really doing anything other than just being the local gym warrior, you've, you know, you've built yourself a very small pond in your head that you get to be the big fish in. Right. And the reality, even if you are like getting medals, like for most, unless you're like the pro athlete making mad money. I mean, if you're a lot of sports out there, you're, you're not going to make jack shit, even if you are phenomenal at it. Right. No, I mean, no, I mean, you're not like, I mean, I I don't want to make money the main thing. Like if if, if we only did things for money, the world would be very boring. Like men want glory. They want accomplishment. People will want to win in things that you couldn't even imagine. You know, there, there's guys right now playing video games and they want to be the world champion in a video game, which, you know, I find ridiculous. But like, hey, you know what? That's graphing to them. They have an audience. Like, fucking cool. Good for them. You know, but all that shit's going to end. Um, you know, and, you know, as the saying goes, like, there is a time to put away childish things. Hopefully, fitness does something for you where it makes you powerful and fit and strong and you apply those things the rest of your life. And then you have something to show for yourself and you're. You know, 40, 50, 60, if look at all the things I've done. If all you have is glory days from your 20s of what you lifted, you failed. Yeah. Yeah, you got to take it beyond. And so, you know, that's that's a lot of reason why I've liked your your stuff over the years and kept following <laughs> you is because you, you refuse to kind of like just marry yourself to like some diet or some form of exercise or whatever. And you've kind of stayed, you know, very balanced in your approach. And so I'm curious a little bit about like where you're at now, because like you said, you're only lifting like twice a week. You're into the fighting stuff. Like you went over, did you go over to Thailand and like do like kickboxing yeah. and shit too? So yeah, what, I, what's I, up with I, this like transition to fighting for you? Um, yeah, I, I, I had done Muay Thai a bit when I was younger. And then as I got older, you know, like I working in fitness industry, training people, training people, training people, training people. And I've always, I've always been very honest by vision X and like, okay, I'm not going to be a powerlifter. It's not happening. I'm not going to be a bodybuilder. It's not happening. Um, 
didn't really have anything I could physical that I could pursue with excellence. Well, I tried, got back into ballet a bit in my late twenties, had some more injuries, like an Achilles strain, tore my MCL, my left leg. I was like, you did ballet when you were younger too, right? Yeah. I done when I was younger, did it more in my later twenties for like about two years, got injured again, doing it where I was like, all right, this, this just isn't working. You know, like were you professional? Like, like, no, oh. no I was never professional. It was, it was something I did in college. Got injured when I was young in college, really badly. Tore my hamstring, tendon on my left leg. Right, I basically couldn't use my leg after that for a long time. Jeez. So that was, you know, that was like the end of the dream. Like, okay, that's not happening. As like when I was around like twenty seven, I actually took up dancing again, like locally where I was living in Florida, you know, like a studio. And you know, at that point, my hamstring, everything had recovered enough where I could actually kind of dance again. And like, there were some definitely some strains and pains. I never had the body type for really ballet either. You know, I loved it because of the aesthetic of it. I loved the art of it, but I didn't have the physique for it truly. And then so, it, you know, did that for like a year or two, started to get beat up again, where I was like, okay, joint, you know, tendon tear, ligament tear. You know, what am I really pursuing at this point? I'm going to be 30. Like this is, you know, just let this go. Um, so yeah, I was very bored. You know, like I had a successful fitness career, but I was really fucking bored. Mm. And, and I like training hard. I like to be applying myself to something at all times. It's difficult to, you know, to take something out of me. And so when I got back into sort of doing combat sports, it was uh, it was catalyzed when I went to, to live with the Tate brothers, Andrew and Tristan Tate in Romania. You lived with them? Yeah, 2019. I lived with them for about almost two months. And they, you know, they're, like, they're both professional fighters, you know, right. world-class fighters. And we did some training there. And they just beat the shit out of me. And it was great. Like, I loved it. I had a really good time. Like, and, you know, like in fighting, I always knew fighting was hard, but then when you're actually training, you're doing it like, wow, this, this requires your whole fucking soul. Yeah. If you want to get good at this and it's, it's humbling, right? Yeah. There's lots of other things you can do as a man that are sport. There's many other things, but doing an activity that you are willfully going to get beat up on a routine basis for a long time before you're actually competent, you have to, you know, put your ego on an altar there and sacrifice it. And if you do that, you can come out the other side and it gives you this incredible sense of this self-confidence, contentment, like you just feel good. Uh, yeah, in so many different ways, um, both personally and that's how you view the world. So yeah, after coming back to the United States, after visiting them, like, you know, I'm going to try to, I'm going to get into combat sports. So I was started looking into boxing, looking into uh, karate. And then as it happened, I ended up in Thailand in 2020 during the lockdowns. And I was in Thailand for 10 months. Hmm. So I got a great Muay Thai teacher, great champion of Thailand's golden age, uh, Sagat. And I trained with him for six months. I went over to Phuket, trained at a gym there, powerhouse for a few months. Came back to the United States. I've still been training here. Uh, not as con consistently as I would like. I've had some months off uh, for you know a few injuries and things. But I've been you know training now for going on about two years you know, overall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, maybe about like 16 months of actually after the months. But it's been about two years and it's been fucking amazing. And I've loved it. And it's it's taught me so many different things about fitness and put things into perspective that I would never have had that insight, the, the, you know, those um, those viewpoints otherwise. Yeah, and for fighting to actually be a good combat sport athlete, once you have a requisite level of muscle mass and strength, getting more is like I said, it's not going to make a difference. What makes you really good is having fantastic cardio, is having fantastic footwork, is being a good decision maker, is being able to stay calm. And and then also what makes you a good fighter is just, it's just the, the practice of it. 
Have you yeah, had any thing. fights? Uh, I have no. I have. A, I'm planning on having a smoker finally this year, like an actually like a real amateur fight. You know, this cool. whole time it's been spent training. Um, yeah, like I said, it hasn't been as consistent as I would like. Like my wife got pregnant, obviously, and we had yeah. a baby, and you know, there's yeah, certain that'll, duties, that'll yeah. knock some things off. <laughs> yeah, well, you have to. You have priorities as a man. Like my priorities are to my family first. You know, then like you know, fitness is secondary to that. Um, <laughs> but. Yeah, I mean that's the plan this year, and you know, I mean, and I've I've told guys this regardless of whether you compete or not, or you you want to become a professional, this the, the practice of combat sport activities, the practice of combat for men, that is that is transformative in a way that you can yeah I can never adequately lay out in words. Yeah, it makes you makes you realize that you know men are born and evolved for violence, and the ability to stay calm in an adverse situation and apply yourself. And have this violent interaction with another being, and the violent interaction with another being, with a man, another man, and then be friends afterwards. Uh, it gives you a level of camaraderie and bonding, and, and just overall competency. Where like you feel like nothing can fuck with you. And at the same time, yeah, I would never consider myself a reactive person before so much, but things that might have bothered me a few years ago, they just don't bother me now. I, I just don't care. You know, it's shit talking online from people. It's like. Okay, I, I just you just don't give a shit. You know? Yeah, it makes you realize like why. You know, this is very common. Like in the fight world, like fighters are extremely calm people. It's like why? Because fighting, you actually have to deal with real shit happening. Someone's trying to fuck you up. So you know, like, yeah, you know, I mean, it's in a controlled setting, but someone's trying to fuck you up. They're trying to knock you out. They're trying to fucking take your guts out. Like they're trying to cause pain, and you're trying to do the same thing. Yeah, that's that's as real as it gets for the most part, unless it's unless it's really like a war zone where like you're actually gonna die. You know, right. you know fighting is a controlled death in a way. But yeah, so you're in that environment and you go out into the real world or the world of the internet and people are bickering over bullshit. You know, people are talking shit, words. It, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, it kind of brings you back to reality. Like uh, you know, I've yes. got some friends and stuff who are they're big into to jujitsu and, and that sort of thing, which is probably what I I haven't once I get more free time, that's my plan. I want to try and try jujitsu out because I think that's just kind of cool. It's almost like this tactical sort of chess like sort of game. Um, but anyway, they're saying like, yeah, when, you know, just a little while ago, someone was like trying to choke you out uh, and you're like on the verge of passing out. It's just like a an unbelievably grounding experience because yes, yes. <laughs> it's just like, oh, oh, this physical reality is just so much supremely more important once you're confronted with it um, than like all the other little, you know, with the bullshit chatter and whatnot. You, you said it better than I could have said it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I 100% agree. Yeah, I've, I've done a little bit of jujitsu, but I, I concur. Yeah, if someone's trying to break your arm, put you, you know, putting you some kind of joint lock, you're trying, you're, someone's attempting to affixate you. Yeah. And then you frame that against, you know, the petty inconveniences of day to day interaction. You know, or you know, or online interaction. You know, in our case, where we interact with people through these digital mediums, yeah, and you realize what's real and what matters and what doesn't. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty wild. Um, have you uh, have you ever done much work with kettlebells? A bit. So this is this is gonna piss people off so I'll, I'll preface with this like i said before every training tool i think has use barbell can be emphasis on can can be super effective kettlebell can be super effective dumbbells same thing machines same thing cable same thing 
kettlebells I at one time used predominantly in my training, maybe like 90% of the time. I was mm -hmm. I was like all about kettlebells for a solid two years. Yeah. Swings, double swings, snatches, kettlebell presses, rows, ring aid rows, like just everything with kettlebell. Yeah. And I hit a point around like uh, maybe it was like 24, 25, where like I had, like I said, but maybe about 22 to 24, I mostly trained with kettlebells, you know, with some other lifts mixed in. And I'm always trying to be as objective as I can with training. Like, let me take out my emotions. Like, like you said, like I'm not, I don't get married to anything. I don't sure. want my identity and my self-esteem and my self-worth and who I am as a man tied up in this tool. So I was looking at kettlebells and I was like reviewing last years. I'm like, I can't objectively say that kettlebells improved anything more than just regular dumbbells. What F basically. Sure. Like I like them. Like swings are cool. You know, like they, they have their uses definitely. So swings were great. Yeah, the kettlebell snatches, I I did just fucking so many goddamn fucking kettlebell snatches. I'm like, did this do anything for me? Like, <laughs> yeah, like well, I was trying to point to some very definable benefit. I'm like, wow, this made me fucking bulletproof. This, I'm right. like, I couldn't find anything. And then as I talked to more coaches over time, like, you know, many of whom, some of whom were kettlebell specialists, like one guy I followed for a long time, Steve Maxwell, he taught kettlebells for like 20 years, 30 years, and he eventually stopped teaching them because he similar to what I'm telling you now, he couldn't point to the kettlebells actually doing anything exceptional beyond what you'd get with any other training tool. Sure. Yeah, in some cases he thought they could actually be detrimental because it was repetitive, you know, very repetitive exercises. Up. There's not much variety, repetitive patterns of stress. Um, and he's, you know, in, in his social circle, he saw people get hip replacements and have, you know, there's a lot of joint issues who only train with kettlebells. Yeah, I mean, and you could apply that to also like powerlifting as well. Like anytime you load up the body chronically with heavy weights and positions, which, you know, by by default are going to be very joint stressful, there's probably going to be long-term consequences. Hmm. Yeah. Does that mean that we shouldn't lift weights? No, I mean, we, sh we should lift weights. We should definitely do resistance training. Yeah, but this is going to be trade-offs, right? So, I mean, yeah, to answer the questions, like, have I used them? Yeah, I, I can do any kettlebell exercise you can think of quite well. The, well. the reason I was but asking that. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that I, so I can do any exercise like really well with great competence. I don't use them anymore at all. Okay. The The reason I was asking is because that's prim that's what I moved to. Uh, but particularly like I'd messed around with like hard style kettlebell stuff, like the, the, the like the, what you would expect when people train kettlebell. But, uh, mm -hmm. what I've gotten into is kettlebell sport. Are you familiar with that? Like gear yes. boy sport? Lo like long cycle. Yeah. 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 Cause you like the, the body type you describe is actually like ideal for that. And so it's like much, it's like lighter weights. So you know, you, know, you go for like 10, the idea is to go to 10 minutes without putting it down. Mm -hmm. And what, what I like, what I thought was cool about that was just because it gives you something objective to measure yourself against. And it's yeah. not just strength and it's not just cardio. It's both. And like, I look at like what, like since I'm training in it, I can see how fucking bad I am at it. Um, and if you can go like 10 minutes with double 24s, which is like amateur level, I can't imagine like any fighter would have like cardio problems if they could do that. Uh, like, so I was just bringing it up for you as a fighter, like maybe oh. just keep it in mind, like uh, as something potentially useful. I don't know. Give it a shot. But I, yeah, you could probably be really good at it. Yeah, this is where I don't. This is, this is not to be denigrating. All. I don't think that actually been a beef beneficial for fighting. Because this is what this is the thing with combat sports. They're stand up where you actually you're on two feet mm -hmm. that people don't realize. I didn't realize this until I did them. Your ability to move laterally, continuously for multiple rounds, uh, 
that requires a kind of endurance that doesn't get trained by anything else. Hmm. So there's this assumption of like, okay, like, like, well, okay, I'll give an example. Like, why do fighters run so much? And it's very big. Like, you go to boxing gyms, like, you gotta be running. Thailand, everybody's running. Why? Because when you're actually in the ring, you're fucking running around your feet nonstop. Yeah. While punching, while trying not to get hit. And that is fucking fatiguing. Yeah. Doing things that have you statically in place, you know, like, like kettlebell swings, double swings. Like, yeah, that, there's definitely a cardiovascular demand there, but endurance more than any other physical quality is activity specific. So like, this is where I, I would say if I was going to hmm. use kettlebells, I would say the benefits of kettlebells for fighters would be more so for the strengthening effects of, hey, this could help you build some muscle. This could give you some functional strength where kettlebells, I will say, especially for this, any kind of swing, it does kind of mimic having to actually grab onto a person and move like a live body because it adds a fourth joint. It's unstable. You have to stabilize it. So functional strength benefits definitely are there. Cardiovascular benefits, that's just not going to do it for you. You, know, you could be, you could, you could swing for 10 minutes and it's like, go ahead. If I put you in the ring and have you do three by three rounds, you're going to gas out because you've never actually had to move your feet in that, in that way while also you know, having your hands up. Like it's, it's not going to be comparable. Um, and this is why, you know, and this goes for all sports. Like strength has positive transfers to a lot of other activities. Endurance does not so much. Endurance, the transfer of doing one thing to another thing, they have to be extremely similar. So if you are a boxer, you're in a ring, you're running around, you're moving your feet. Running has transfer. Jumping rope has transfer. Doing drills where you're just moving around the ring sideways has transfer. Getting on, let's say, like a bicycle. Eh. Again, you could work your lungs really hard on a bike. Might have some positive benefit. It will. But it's not mimicking the impact and the footwork patterns at all in any way. Because it's just a bicycle so, cyclical. There's no, you know, you're not ashamed to bounce. So is that going to do be as beneficial as running? No, probably not. Um, and, you know, and again, that applies to all sports. Like if you want to improve point. your endurance at your sport, it needs to be the sport itself or as similar to it as possible. Okay. If it's too different, it's just not going to do it. So even though the heart and the, the lungs and stuff might adapt, you know, you'd be able to you know work at a higher heart rate and stuff. It's like the, the actual muscles being utilized, which, which aren't conditioned. Right. The, the motor coordination is just not there. Like, I mean, this is, this is the aspect of endurance that gets overlooked. It's, endurance is not just your heart rate being able to be high or you know, aerobic threshold. It's, it's motor coordination. You know, so there, there is, so there's cardiovascular endurance and there's motor endurance. And you can have good cardiovascular endurance at this one thing, but it doesn't mean you have the motor endurance for something else. And what you find, you know, with this is, you know, not even combat sports, but a lot of sports is you can actually can have so much shitty cardiovascular endurance. Like you, your cardio actually doesn't have to be that good if your motor endurance is really high. So if you've practiced something a thousand times, it's just an ingrained pattern. Your body knows how to do it efficiently. You can get away with having sometimes not so good cardio. What's like the, the, the physiological adaptation for like, uh, that extreme, like motor endurance. So like, you know, obviously when you get stronger, you're going to get, you know, pr produce more muscle fibers and they're going to get thicker and that kind of thing. But when you're like a long distance runner and you can just go for forever, there's some kind of physiological adaptation that happens there. What is it? So the ability to go for long periods of time, so there's a few adaptations that take place. So like there's and these happen in conjunction with each other. So you have the cardiovascular aspect of, let's say you're a long distance runner. So it's like, okay, 
you're able to maintain, like you're working the aerobic zone and you've brought your aerobic zone down to like a very you know, low level um, where you, know, you could be running at X speed and your heart rate's only going up so much, like awesome. So, you know, there's, there's that central cardiovascular component of like your actual heart rate, but then that's happening in conjunction with the motor component of you being able just to strike the ground over and over and over again, thousands of times. And your body is expending as minimal energy, energy as necessary to do that. And your tissues and all of your, your heart and soft tissues have all adapted for that movement. Um, so there's an aspect of, you know, muscular, skeletal, fascial training that takes place. Okay. Um, does and, it, and this I, is I've read it like you're, it actually like the the muscles will like actually constrict like you know prevent like blood flow or something when you're when you get like super high endurance I don't know if that's if I'm understanding that right but it like does something where like the blood starts to flow differently so like you avoid fatigue and accumulating like lactic acid and stuff like that I don't know if that's true but I, I don't I'm, that I don't I'm not familiar with I, when you lift weights there is a vasoconstriction effect on the muscle like if you're doing a bicep curl like the reason why you get a pump is because the blood's actually trapped in the muscle Hmm. Um, but I mean, for endurance, for something like, you know, running is like pretty the most basic for you know, runners. They can go a long time because their body has gotten incredibly good at clearing out waste products. Okay. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, like, so you so your blood flow is maximized. I mean, that's why cardio is cardio. It's not just the heart. It's the whole cardiovascular network down to the capillaries. Gotcha. Um, so it's like, yeah, that's the stuff that's getting conditioned, like in your calves and your like, you know, legs and your knees and stuff. So it can just move waste out and stuff much much more yes. efficiently so it doesn't yes. like accumulate fatigue yeah and then on like the edges of like sort of theory like this is like this is getting to like this is not scientifically proven but like it's it's something that exists where it's like suspected or you know there's people that believe it anyway but the fascial network over time so like your body's your body is obviously it's bone and muscle but what holds it together is that fascia sticky tissue right that can become conditioned over time, or at least this is the theory is that it can. So the fascia can become conditioned over time to do certain activities. It has a very high degree of elasticity for those hmm. movements. So you're able to do them over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Interesting. So, you know, there, so there's it's like you're installing rubber bands like into your yeah. body around certain movements. Yeah. So people who are really bouncy, there's two parts of it, you know, like the, I, I, the framing I've, I've heard people use. And, and again, what, I, what I'm sharing is not scientifically like this is the facts, like this is a theory hypothesis is that you have fascially driven athletes. So you have people who their fascial tissue, their fascia network is extremely elastic, very bouncy, and they are very explosive and they can they can just move. They can go and they'll, they'll and, you know, if they combine that with good training, they'll have excellent endurance. And then you have athletes who are very muscularly driven where they can get really strong and it's the muscle tissue contraction that's really powering their movements, but they might not have the bounce or explosiveness, explosiveness the fascial athlete does. Hmm. Um, again, like there's disagreement about whether that's even true, but it, it's interesting to me because I've seen that based on what I've seen in my training career, I would actually agree with that where, yeah, like if you train high level athletes, if you are around high level athletes, you will see people who are incredibly explosive are fast and they're not exceptionally muscular so like they're not like the fast twitch dominant type kind of thing it's like more like yeah, a different I, sort of you, thing maybe they are fast twitch but they have a level of hypertrophy that it doesn't quite match their explosivity so yeah you know, mm -hmm. i'll give you an example michael jordan mm -hmm. super fucking explosive right infamously explosive right taking off from three-point lines sailing through the fucking air michael jordan was skinny 
he wasn't exceptionally muscular. I mean, he was muscular. Like, don't get me wrong. It wasn't like he was like a stick, but he was not freakishly muscular. Like, why was he so fucking bouncy? You know, if we if we're assuming that explosiveness and power production comes solely from muscle, then we would see that the absolutely most muscular athletes are like the most explosive. And you don't necessarily see that. They can produce very high levels of force, but their ability to rebound, their ability to be elastic can be pretty shitty. Uh, you know, power things are a really good example. So you have guys who are freaking fucking strong. If you ask them to jump up and down a few times, they might literally fucking rip a, rip a calf, tear a hamstring. Like that, that could, that's a, it's a real concern. That could happen. Like, Hey, like you can lift a shitload of weight, but let's, let's have you jump in the air. It's like, okay, they come down. Oh, fuck. My Achilles just blew out. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, I mean, now you compare that to, let's say like Olympic lifters who are usually very explosive jumpers, but they're actually doing a, a real power activity that has an extreme velocity component to it. You know, where powerlifting does not. Powerlifting is actually misnamed. Like power, true powerlifting is Olympic lifting, um, and yeah, velocity it's more strength lifting. lifting. Yeah. yeah, but so, anyways, you look at like an athlete like MJ, you know, where he's like super explosive, but he's not crazy freaky muscular. And you compare that to somebody, let's say, like LeBron James, who is really muscular, right? Obviously, big guy, a lot of lean body mass. He wasn't any more explosive than Michael Jordan was. Arguably less explosive. Still, I mean, still like a great fucking athlete, right? One of the top five all time, but two different body types producing the same movement, but in different ways. Right. And you have and a so, guy built like Francis Ngannou, who looks like he could, you know, he's strong as hell, which I'm sure he still is. But then he also has insane explosivity. And so, yeah, I can see what you're saying. Like, there's, or you there's more to it. Huh? Yeah. Or you like, you have a guy like that where it's, it's kind of both. So yeah. it, it's not to say that it's, it's one or the other, like you're either fascia or you're, you're muscle, like. Everyone's a combination of both. Like both guys have, you know, those tissues. Uh, but it's just an interesting way to look at it. Since, like I said, when I was in Thailand, I'd see these guys, these Thai fighters who were not very big people, but they had an economy of motion that was just incredible to witness. Hmm. And part of it came from this decades of practice, right? But I, I'd watch, I'd watch them jump a rope. I'd watch them move around the ring. They're so light on their feet, and, and, and nobody lifted weights at all. Yeah, and I realize like weightlifting is a very static activity. It makes you very heel heavy. It's grounding your body in place to leverage yourself against an external force. It's not moving your body through space. It's moving external weight through space. So I mean, that's so I mean, to kind of like wrap the story of like, okay, what have we been talking about? When I was in Thailand, that's what got me lifting weights less and just doing more cardio and skipping rope and doing all these things, because I saw like I want to be explosive like these guys. I want to have this kind of athleticism, and that was I realized that just was not going to happen in the weight room. So I just dropped the lifting for the most part, you know, and yeah. even now to this day, like I still do quite limited lifting. You know, it's, I, I, one time I trained like six days a week. Now I train, like I said, two, maybe three and that's it. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're not trying to build muscle, like that's enough to, to stay strong for sure. So, I mean, if you're just trying to stay strong and then you're going to focus on the fighting stuff that I, I think that makes a lot of sense, but you're, you're still moving pretty much most days, right? Like, Yeah. Yeah, well, it also gave me perspective on building muscles. And so, I mean, this is, like I said, it changed a lot of things about how you training, where if you look at the objective scientific data, like how much you need to train to actually build lean body mass strength, the minimum effective volume for strength and muscle gain is one working set to failure a week. Right. One. So if you, if Larry, if you, if you, let's say, let's say you bench press, if you bench press once a week, to failure in the, let's just go eight to 12 rep range. And you do that every week for a year, you're going to get stronger and bigger by the end of the year. 
that's how I initially got. Like, I put on like 20 pounds in uh, college over like one semester because when I first started lifting, and we we're and I started using uh, Dorian Yates program, like the high, yeah, intensity, high intensity shit, and I was just like, I just blew up it was just like and so most of that was like newbie gains but like you know i was working like a muscle group sometimes like not even every week you know if it was like Mm -hmm. like legs or something like that i would just go there with my buddies we'd be all hopped up on pre-workout and then we would just do like (laughs) super sets to like failure and failure and like helping each other out we were those assholes in the gym but it was it was fantastic but it was really fun uh but you know it was the potential for injury, I could see that going up as I got stronger and stronger because, you know, I, I didn't understand periodization or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I just kept trying to go upward. But, yeah, no, that that works. <laughs> you don't need to do a ton. You just need to do the right thing very, very hard, and you will get bigger. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, that's why the two or three days a week, like, it actually it got me to, like, t- I never took, like, high intensity training that seriously, but then I – past few years I started to because I realized, you know, if you look at this, again, you look at the centric literature, you take out the growth theorizing, you know, and like the emotional bias. And I realized that if you want to build muscle strength, the actual time investment, two to four hours a week, it's just, it's just not that much. You know, guys who are in the gym six days a week, two hours, whatever, or more, you're in the gym a lot because you like being in the gym, not because yeah. it's necessary for adaptation. Again, there's nothing wrong with being in the gym all the fucking time. It's fun. Gym's a fucking cool place. We, we, we all love a gym. Um, but if we're trying to be super rational objective, how much time do you actually need to spend doing this? Not that much. The ROI on lifting weights relative to the time invested is extreme. Like, like I said, two, three, maybe four hours a week. And you get you can get make very consistent long-term gains for you know, two, three, four, five years before it really plateaus out and you know, it slows down to like tiny increments. Yeah. No. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. And, you know, if you get a coach who knows how to like, you know, cycle, you keep you moving and that kind of stuff too. Like you can, you can be very, very efficient. So awesome, man. I think that's, uh, you know, I probably got even more time out of you than you initially signed up for because we split our session, but uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to us. Um, oh, no problem. So where's the best place for people to find you? Uh, so easiest way. So, I have a newsletter that I've written for the last five or six years now, uh, Cortez.site. That's where you can sign up for the newsletter. Uh, obviously, I'm on Twitter, AJA underscore Cortez. And then I'm also on Instagram. Instagram is predominantly fitness content tutorials. Same thing, AJA underscore Cortez. But those are the three places. So you got the short content, you got the visual content, and you got the long form content. Just you know, pick one that you like the most. And you've got plenty of, of programs too, right, on your website. Oh yeah, yeah. And then yeah, then those are predominantly sold through Gumroad. They're also on my website as well. But I have a training program for pretty much everything. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So whether you want to gain muscle or lose body fat, you're skinny fat, or you're 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 guy over six feet tall, or you're a hard gainer, or you just you want to learn everything there's to know about training shoulders or arms or legs or back, you know, or you know, or if you're even if you're a girl and you just you want to look in a bikini, I have a solution for you. <laughs> Fantastic, yeah. I mean, uh, I can highly recommend your stuff. You know, check it out, everybody. Uh, we'll have all the links in the description below. But thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. We will hopefully have you back soon because you know we kept it very much on the fitness stuff this time. I would love to have you back at some point, and we can kind of just talk about world and philosophy and things because I think we could have a very interesting conversation along those lines as well. Definitely. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. See you on the next one.